Hello, friends. Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I am Jason Hammonds, and I am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with writer Matt Fraction. You'll know his work from critically acclaimed runs on Marvel titles such as Hawkeye and Iron Man, the recent Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen from DC, and of course his amazing creator-owned work including Sex Criminals, Casanova, Adventure Man, and the recently concluded graphic novella series November. This was such a fun episode. Um, Matt was uh, very generous with his time, as you know many of our guests are. But this was a a lengthy episode, as I'm sure you saw on the uh, time code when you when you downloaded or streamed or hit play on this episode. Keep using little flashy terms like uh, like your dad when he's trying to impress you that he knows internet speak. Uh, but th- this is a long chat um, with Matt, and he we covered so many things about you know his career, philosophy on making comics, his thoughts on um, the direct market, the industry at large. Uh, he even talks about you know one thing that was really interesting was just talking about the phase that he's in in his career right now because he just had coincidentally uh, multiple series, you know, most of his workload kind of wrapped up at the same time. Um, and so we sort of talked about, you know, the experience of wrapping all that up and, you know, kind of the, the opportunity to sort of take a break and I guess, you know, really less than a break, but to, to focus more on, you know, being a, a stay at home, you know, parent while kids are, you know, doing school from home and all that stuff. So he's, you know, just transitioned into a different type of work for a while uh, and, and sort of, you know, gave some insight into kind of like how he's viewing uh, the work that he's kind of looking at down the road, right? And and this next phase, as as everyone is kind of, you know, preparing to get back to some familiar sense of normalcy, um, you know, just uh, you know, looking at what is sort of coming out in in his work as he's dipping his toes back in. So I, you know, I won't spoil any of that discussion, but there's some really really good stuff in there. Um, I'm a big admirer of Matt's work. I I love uh the, the way that he kind of approaches the work i think that whenever someone you know uh reaches the level of of success or cachet or whatever you want to say uh it's interesting to see what they do with that i i really enjoy creators who take whatever successes they've built and use it to allow them to take risks um and i think if you look throughout Matt's career, particularly in his creator-owned work, but even in his, his company-owned work as well, uh, there's been a consistent theme of taking risks, right? Um, going back to Casanova doing a 16-page a series at a time when most series were going to be, you know, 22, 24 pages, um, and, and, and using that as a challenge to sort of pack the issue with as much content as possible and make it a very dense 16 pages, right? Or, you know, with November, right? The, the most recent example of this, I think, is this series where you are taking, you know, the the concept of like a, a mini series or a contained series, but then applying it to this format, which is fairly new in, in the US, uh, which is the graphic novella, right? Which, you know, we've seen success with uh, uh, Brubaker and Phillips doing that with with some of their criminal and um, criminal adjacent series. You know, but but basically saying, okay, we're going to tell this self-contained, you know, sort of four-volume story that's coming out in, in four separate hardcovers, and of course, it's graced by the amazing art of Elsa Chartier. Uh, hopefully, a future guest. You know, at some point, I've I have like a a ton of interviews on the schedule right now, which uh, is is lovely and also like maddening for figuring out schedule and uh, looking at all the the stuff I got to do. Um, you know, but but 
the fact that he's you know taking these big risks despite the fact that you know if he were to do a straight down the middle you know 22 page a month series that you know had you know sort of five issues come out every six months like clockwork uh he could do that and we'd all read it right um, but to, to do something that's a little bit more challenging or unusual in the market, I think is something that can be greatly admired, you know, and you look at Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen with the short stories, you know, like these interconnected, very, very fast paced, you know, sort of breakneck stories, uh, kind of in the spirit of Jack Kirby with, you know, some modern flavor to it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, it was really, really interesting to me going through all of these books uh, in preparation for this interview and kind of just seeing that theme of risk-taking. Um, and that's something we get into uh, in this discussion. So I'll, I'll stop it there and let you listen to yourself for yourself. But um, yeah, it, just a really fun discussion. Um, so I definitely hope to have Matt back on again. I'm sure it'll happen uh, at some point whenever he's got, you know, some, some new work to promote. Um, but, you know, before we get into the interview, I want to remind you uh, to go check out my friends at Garm. Garm is the graphic artist resource management uh, company. Yeah, <laughs> I forget if it's like if there's another word after that. Yeah, it's it's company after that. Um, but they provide you with all the amazing tools uh, to sort of push your digital art up, up to the next level, right? That that next level of kind of completion and, and polish or, or sometimes reverse polish. You want to rough it up a little bit more. Um, they, they have all sorts of kits for digital artists, whether you use Procreate, Photoshop, you know, they've, they've got you covered, uh, the, you know, texture kits and brush kits and whatnot. I just highly recommend, uh, going to, to, to check them out. Um, if you, you know, order anything through Garm, if you want, if you want to check out any of their tools, you can use, uh, our promo code TMBC or go to garmcompany.com slash TMBC, uh, and you can get 20% off that order. Um, I personally love the rawhide kit. That's my favorite kit. I've said it before. Uh, it's something that I use in a lot of my work and, and the longer I've had it, the more I've found use for it. Um, and so I'm, I'm really enjoying their stuff and, uh, I think any digital artist out there will absolutely uh, adore the tools that they have and and finds great use for them. So again, that's garmcompany.com slash TMBC, and that'll give you 20% off your order. Uh, and just want to remind you to follow the show at TMBC Workshop. You can follow me at Jason Halftones. And uh, Matt doesn't really do social media, so just go seek out his work at your local shop, bookstore, or uh, you know the app of your choice. Without further ado, though, let's get on into this interview. Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. I am here with Matt Fraction. Matt, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for letting me talk to somebody I'm not related to. <laughs> no problem at all. No problem at all. Um, so we, you know, I, I brought you on here because my my uh, primary uh, hope for for this episode would be to kind of talk about November. Um, sure. You know, now that the entire you know story is is wrapped up, uh, presumably, unless you've got a December plan. <laughs> <in the works. laughs> it would be the logical uh, you would think, right? Uh, but no, I think yeah, we're we are we are wrapped. We are we are. Wrapped. We've told the story we have to tell. The story in four parts, and uh, and and it's you know been one of my especially during you know these uh, uh, TM unprecedented times. It's been a great read to have throughout the the adventure. Something to kind of you know look forward to as a uh, a quadrant uh, benchmark uh, yeah. in these phases. Yeah, let me let me tell you, there's no better time to launch a <laughs> difficult read in a exotic and pricey format 
than the month before a global pandemic <laughs> that also, no, no, the month before a complete implosion of your industry and the way it yeah. has run for 40 years, followed by a pandemic. Yeah, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to come out November to November. It was supposed to yeah. occupy, <laughs> I still have yet received, to receive my, my copies of volume four. I actually really? had to buy one from a, wow. a like a order, order one uh, to be delivered so I could actually see that it exists. So yeah. I got mine before you did. That's, uh, that's very funny. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, yeah, yay, <laughs> co- yay comics. Yay, comics. And uh, on that note, I mean, that, that does kind of segue into to, uh, something I wanted to ask, which is that especially, you know, in, in preparation for this interview, I've kind of gone back and looked at a lot of your your body of work, which is which is numbered and uh, quite diverse and, and interesting. Um, and even listening to interviews and stuff, it, it seems to me like you would have a very hard time writing comics if you were not experimenting in some way. Um, and I just wanted to know like how you feel about why is it that experimentation is always so integral to your books, particularly creator owned, but even in the big two, I, that that's legit. One of the nicest things anybody's ever said about my work. Um, <laughs> and the nicest thing anyone has ever said about my work was, uh, uh, was, a uh, uh, I don't know. I maybe I shouldn't attribute it because it'll sound weird braggy, but, um, <laughs> was, I, I had five books out in a particular moment and mm-hmm. someone who, who I respect and admire quite a lot said there's no in, there's, there's nothing that suggests they're made by the same person. And that yeah. felt, that felt like an accomplishment. Like, um, so that's by design for sure. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> deliberate. It's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely, I mean, it's, it's a con it's conscious now. I think it was maybe subconscious until that moment, but like that, sure. that, that Bruce Lee thing of being like water, you know, um, right. uh, the style of no style and, wanting to have I'm I mean I have I have a lot of brain issues and and I'm an alcoholic and an addict and in recovery and I recognize internally when I get bored bad things happen to me mm-hmm. I do I make poor choices when I'm bored so part of it is if I'm not challenged and working on something challenging not only do I think you can tell not only do I think mm-hmm. you, I don't think I think you can always tell when a writer is uh, bored Sure, um, yeah. uh, as, a, as a gym shooter, he apparently used to put it, uh, he's typing with one hand uh, because the other one is closing his nose, uh, pinch, <laughs> pinching his nose shut from the stench. Like, it's, I, you can always tell when a writer's over it. But I just get into bad places when I'm not pushing myself and challenging myself and trying to figure something somewhere out. So like that, mm-hmm. wanting to have whatever the comics career of someone like Billy Wilder or Steven Soderbergh where kind of... Right moment to moment who knows what you're going to get um yeah. um that isn't so much a kind of jack of all trades but by choice and like i don't sure. want to be known for any one thing you know i was writing november and jimmy olsen in parallel and it was because i can't imagine they're, they're not two more different books i think mm-hmm. in my body of work right so sure yeah clearly there's a there are things i'm playing out in, in, in what i choose to work on and when but yeah, yeah. it's it's a i i I get bored, bad things happen. And I think when you, I think when you get bored, the writing suffers. Sure. It's the, 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 the very long, short version of the answer. <laughs> no. And I, and I, I, I fully understand that. I, I think, and, and there's, there's a lot of sort of, uh, uh, nuggets that you laid down in there that I want to, um, bring back up throughout this interview. So, so I am known, eared... I am known for laying nugs. So <laughs> the, the keen eared listener will, uh, will, will be able to identify those Chekhov Chekhov's guns audibly and, and find <laughs> them tied back in throughout the adventure here. Um, but, but I, 
it's funny you talk about uh, Jimmy Olsen in November because I think there are there are so many ways in which they are polar opposites um, tonally, you know, content wise, uh, uh, so different. However, there are those things that unify them. I think that 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 show someone trying to play with something very specific in the medium that wasn't being done very often. And I think that the like particularly in Jimmy Olsen, but I think even in November, you're telling a lot of the story in these very, uh, uh, you know, sort of rapid paced four page, five page like intervals that then cut to a different part and all kind of make up for the same whole. But you know, you're, you're playing with that time. You're playing with that compression. Uh, was that something conscious or was that something that was happening as a result of both books? It's one of those things that was not conscious until I got to the finish line. And right. then it was so, ob- you know, like that, it's like going nose blind. You don't know what your own house smells like or something sure. like it's you, it, it, a time is the other thing. Uh, yeah. a, a, a chronologist, asynchronous storytelling is right. another is, is like it's clear they it's the same thing in both like oh it's clearly these are both i'm mm-hmm. working it out at the same time you know sure um uh, yeah but on the other side of it i was like oh 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 of course that's what you know and i do that it will go through phases of work where i'll do a bunch of things where i'm mm-hmm. processing stuff i'm it's like therapy or something I'm, yeah. I'm dealing with things in real time and it's not until i'm through them that i understand and usually the, the indicator is I will start to see them all as ticks rather than choices. I'll see them as crutches and gimmicks rather than avenues of exploration, uh-huh. which means I've, I've figured what I need to figure out. I've figured out and I can move on. So now yeah. it'll be different. Whatever comes next, like, like I, I have right. a little index card of, of rules for what happens next. And like the first thing is no flashbacks. Sure everything's wow. you know what i mean so like that's yeah. a choice now is and and i started to work out like what is that going to look like and how can you tell you know i don't know you figure it out on the other side of it but yeah it's it's yeah. A, uh yeah that that kind of fabula suset um fracturing and and interpreting space in comics you know time in a, on a comic page is represented by space visual yeah and and but that would, would also mean more than just big moments, you know, it, it, it would, it would times a direction in a comic, a yeah. character could move just as easy as left to right. You can move backwards and forwards. Yeah. In, we're, we're sort yeah. of omniscient be, or uh, at least omnipotent beings that, that are uh, able to traverse the length of the story at any moment in time and, and be like gods, except for the part of creation. Sure. Right. Right. We have a, we have a, uh, we can, as, as much as we can accept that a character has moved left to right, we can accept yeah. that a character has moved forward to backwards in time. So like, mm-hmm. okay, so then how can I turn that thing that we take as given into a storytelling device that builds narrative in different ways? How can we, yeah. not just to create a more, well, wait, how did he get here there? What happened then? Why isn't this guy, you know, not, not right. beyond just that, but how can we use time as a direction to, in November, one of the characters is in an alcoholic fugue state and yeah. she's our POV character, right? Like yeah. also great, great idea to launch a book with that. Um, <laughs> um, but then in the story, of November is fairly simple laid end to end. And I don't know that it would have suffered necessarily for it. Were we to tell it ABCDEFG, but by, but that wouldn't have excited you as much. 
it wouldn't have excited me as much, but I also think we learn new things in different ways and it becomes sure. a different kind of story. Mm-hmm. It becomes more than just the sum of its parts, I think, right. I hope. Um, I think Jimmy Olsen yeah. kind of works weirdly in the same way. It's more than just a bunch of weird Jimmy Olsen gags. It tells mm-hmm. a bigger thing that, uh, um, totally. I mean, I hope, I hope there's the, the bad version of a flashback is when your story isn't exciting, you start in the third act and then what rewind to show how we get there. Right. Yeah. Um, it's the, the which, Tarantino crutch. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people's crush. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember it sort of became like a, like a JJ Abrams thing mm-hmm. where it'd be this breathtaking, exciting cliffhanger. And then we rewind to see how we get there. And you realize, Oh, wait a second. It's because the rewinding to see how we get there isn't an exciting place to start a story. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I think we're all, every, I'm certainly as guilty of it too, but, but like, okay, so how do you rewind it? Because the beginning is more exciting. Like let's, what is the, what is the flashback is something not, but it's a question and answering. And it's a way of engaging. I hope we're trying to engage and create a different level of partnership and collaboration with right. the reader, assuming you have a reader, assuming you have an audience, like, yeah, I'm going to trust you to put this together and challenge you to put this together. And, you know, I, I assume that anybody reading what I write is, 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 is smarter than I am as a minimum. <laughs> so like, how can I, how can I keep you engaged and actively like, I don't think comics allow for passive consumption. We no. have to, the comics don't work without a reader, right? A, a movie is decided a director mm-hmm. and an editor decide how long a shot's going to hold. What's the duration? You, you this movie is th- the running time of Star Wars is two hours and one minute. Period. Yeah. That's yeah. no, you can't. Right? There's no changing that. You yeah. can take as long or as little as you like to read a comic. And and how do I? I depend on a reader to make the associations to close those gaps to put the story together in their own mind. So like, how can I make that more engaging, more exciting, more compelling than just yeah this happened and then that happened. So this happens, then this happens. Right. Cause pay, I mean, pacing in comics can't be, you know, determined. It can only be manipulated. Right. Right. Exactly. Like right. 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 And right. I, exactly. I'm, that's, that's something that I find interesting with this book too, because this November is, is done, you know, primarily or at least um, structured around this 12 panel grid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that's interesting. So I personally, in my work lately, the last like year, I've been really like trying to crack the six panel grid, like breaking <laughs> it down and trying to figure out ways that it can stretch. Um, part of that's for Instagram formatting and stuff. But sure, anyway, because sure. there's square panels. But what what I've found really interesting or, or a unique challenge in that grid that I think is the same on the 12 because they're kind of variations of the same form uh, is how to create a, a focal point within that structure because it's even and and there's no centerpiece within that type of of grid is that something that you're thinking about in the script or is that something that you're trying to sort of leave entirely up to elsa um or are you not even trying to put a focal point in pages in this book well i mean this is kind of a uh my my own kind of art school upbringing but i i Mm. i believe that a central focal point is static and boring. I think if I wanted to make pre-Raphaelite paintings, I would make a pre-Raphaelite painting with Christ sure. in the middle of a page, right? Right. I think that's the stoic and um, stillness of BD and uh, 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 like it's 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 the it's the blessing and curse of Tintin is those sure. pages are static because the focal points are dead center. I, right. I think as it's sort of like my biggest point of aesthetic uh disagreement with like frank santoro is like no give up the center 
uh, uh, because it makes your page, it makes it a center. And this is, this is, this is like the, 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 the disconnect I have with Frank is like, sure. Comics work in spreads. And if you've, and it's to centralize two centers is, is like, it, it doesn't create a, you not only do you stop the eye in one page, mm-hmm. you stop it again on the next. And it's, and it, and it's like, there's, there's two right. stop signs side by side where boom, center frame, boom, center frame. Whereas a more dynamic kind mm. of function, you can, you can create flow through a spread sure. with a decentralized focal point and a, a yeah. certain grids will, oh, that's the thing about the six grid is it will fucking put your eye right there in the middle of the page, yeah. just taken as a, as an issue geometry. Yeah. So part of it was wanting to get away from that, just not wanting that perfectly preserved Mm-hmm. Like in a way, like, like, like there's no better comic for digital consumption than like 1010. Yeah. Right. Because it's a perfectly, every page You're, works as yeah. a singular. You don't have to constantly be like turning your phone or iPad or whatever. Like it's, right. you can rely on it. Yeah. Right. But again, like pre like Raphaelite, like paintings with Jesus and Mary smack dab in the middle and the, the, the mm-hmm. focal point being the center of Jesus's temple. Yeah, like, stretching out from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's no yeah. movement. There's no excitement. There's no anything. So, I wanted to find a grid that I wasn't familiar with. I wanted to find a grid that I didn't have any familiarity with or, or experience with and that right. would allow for decentralized vocal points. Right. And and would work as a not just as a singular unit as a page, mm-hmm. but then as a um, as spreads, how to your eye. You know, and a lot of that was kind right. of just stuff that I'd learned working from working with David Aha, who who is who kind of considers eye line and page flow uh, it's almost before anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's, he, I, I remember seeing him at some point post about the like, uh, structure or grid that he lays down before even thumbnailing. Yeah. It's his first is- thumbnails are like, I'll, I'll like, it just, it'll just be like lines, like yeah. diagonals and, and verticals. And like, this is, this is my thumbnail. Like, uh, huh. Great. Dave. That's great. Can't wait. <laughs> I but, can't, but he has determined yeah. how your eye is going to go through this page and mm-hmm. what, and, and then you see it and he, he layers it, he layers it, he layers it. And when he's done yeah. that, or, that initial slash of geometry is in fact, the way your eye travels through the page and how it's composed and colored totally. and stuff. And he's so, a master it, of that. I mean, like reading the seeds was such a, that was another yeah. like nice relief during this time. I was like, Oh sweet. Like a David aha book. That is yeah. just, know, so just, many pages of you're so just soaking it man just yeah. fucking just uh it's so almost uh luxuriously pornographic and it's <laughs> f- uh, abundance of just stuff to learn it's just been yeah. it's just gorgeous yeah so so on on some of these pages you know i i like obviously there's very often you're of course breaking the the 12 panel structure and putting you know like a uh stretch panel in the middle of the, the, yeah, you know, all, three tiers based, and, based in the function of that grid. So there's like, it can be these one twelve panels. It can be one six yeah. panels. It can be uh one thirds. Uh, we do a couple right. of uh, 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 two third panels. They're kind of like big yeah. boxes, but yeah, there's a, there's a, it's all, div- all the math is consistent, right? It's never right. broken into yeah. you know, like, I had a key actually. It was the first thing I did before we, <laughs> like we, I made a key of like, <laughs> these are all the possible panel combinations. And so when I say half, you know, one sixth, it's this, yeah. when I say two thirds, it's this. And and just yeah. to kind of, so I could have the tempo and the rhythm. It was my equivalent of the David Aha diagonals. Like yeah. I had a temp, I, I made tempo that then the story worked into. That's I, 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 
I love hearing that because it le- at least makes me feel like I'm not a full lunatic for for doing that same thing on the six for for a script that I wrote like yeah, last yeah. year for someone where I was like, okay, so so here's yeah, it's six, and if I if I do six point one and six point two, you can imagine that'll be like that, you know, like and the left side because it's on Instagram, the left side and the right side, you know, one of them could only have vertical ones so that your eye still moves left to right if it's only one square at a yeah. time, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing you can either think about entirely. Mm-hmm. or not at all yeah like that's the choice there's no half in it no it's either a thing that you're uh, aware of and then in which case it becomes like xeno's arrow you know like well how do i draft this i can't get halfway to halfway yeah uh, yeah yeah you're not it's, yeah totally totally it's a rabbit hole <laughs> of overthinking it really sure. and i think that that's i'm like I've I'm I've got enough pages stacked up on the six at this point where I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to put out, you know, X number and then be done with it for a while and, and do things that aren't formatted specifically for Instagram square pictures. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to back to the matter at hand. So so that sort of formalism, right, ties in yeah. very strongly to, um, you know, that that nonlinear storytelling that you're talking about. And, and it right. seems as though with this particular creative team, which is like. I do want to say a murderer's row of people that I have like studied on how to do the craft, like Hollingsworth's colors. I've studied so many times to color, you know, figure out my own work. Elsa's, you know, composition, use of shadows, use of lines is something that I've studied. Like your writing, of course. And, and like Kurt Ankeny, I didn't know before, but now, uh, you know, and even Ryan Hughes, I've studied for design. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it very much felt like that. Hey, if you could hire a murderer's row, who would you hire? I'm like, well, yeah. It's pretty amazing. That's yeah. it. There, I work. Yeah, and listen, Kurt is a writer artist in his own right. Uh, he's got a book called "Pleading with Stars." Like, huh. he is, check it out. It's from Ad House Books. It's like a like a like a collection of his shorts. And like, here's a guy who didn't need to work with any of us. Yeah, uh, uh, he's so gifted. And and then he would yeah, but like he modeled Kay's caption. Her handwriting font is like based on Mother Teresa's handwriting. It's amazing. And like that was. Kurt. That was all Kurt. That wasn't me. That was him reading the script and thinking about it and like deciding everyone's going to have their own mm-hmm. and like bringing that to the book is such a uh, so well, far outside of what I think about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that, that's what I'm curious about is, is you know, you're, you're telling the story in this very unique way and this way that is very reliant on execution in order for it to communicate. Right. Like those different timelines, those different, you know, like having panels on the same grid that exist in three different places in time with the same people right. is very, very reliant on, on Elsa, Matt and Kurt, you know, being able to execute in various ways and work together. And I, I guess I'm curious how much of that is, is written into the script and how much is, of that is discovered along the way as you guys are sort of collaborating. And you know, the story of, August von Kuke, who discovered the benzene ring, the model of a ben, of a, what a benzene mono, molecule looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know the story. So he was a you know chemist, and we knew mathematically what benzene was because you can do the fucking math on the periodic sure. table, but nobody could figure out what it actually looks like. Nobody could manage to see it. Nobody could model sure. it. And for forty years, he he struggled trying to to crack this problem. It was just kind of a great question mark in science and he um one night had a dream of a snake eating its own tail and he woke up and he understood what a benzene that the benzene molecule was a ring Mm -hmm. and he solved the problem one of his colleagues at one point said uh uh, oh my god i wish i could go to sleep and just dream the answer to my problems (laughs) and he goes yeah that's all it took all it took was 40 years 
Yeah. Right. So like visions come to prepared spirits, right? You can do sure, sure. all the homework, but after a while, <laughs> I don't know, guys. Now it's like I, 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 I had trust and faith in my collaborators and sure. tried to bring as much as I feel they bring to a project. But then like that's the joy of collaboration is like after a while, you just kind of yeah. open it up and let it let it go and let's see what happens. Sure. And, and, and along those lines, there's um, in volume three, you've got a sequence where Dee and Maggie are kind of spiraling and, you know, sort of hitting like a very uh, rock bottom state. And the panel structure starts to divide like crazy, break down in sort of insane ways that to me, if I were trying to think of what that would be scripted, like sounds dense and insane and like difficult to parse was that something that was scripted or what like how how do you try and visualize a moment like that yeah and and in that case it was you know kind of taking a fibonacci spiral on the two pieces of the of the spread and you know i knew we started with that grid and as long as everything worked on the math of kind of divisions of of two three and four multiplication two three four so like I drew it. Got it. And it's sort of like, instead of the moments getting bigger, they're going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And this panel divides like this and this panel divides like that. And I kind of, um, I actually kind of tore my whole notebook up. Um, <laughs> um, but like, uh, uh, there's a commentary edition yes. of November volume two as part of Elsa's last Kickstarter and like doing yeah. the scans, I had to like carve my notebook up to, to get my shit on a flatbed scanner. Truly can't um, wait to see that. But like it did, I, I'm all my, the, my preferred pages are graph paper, precisely for stuff like this it, it kind of helps with my adhd and ocd sure. stuff so but yeah it was it was just a matter of doing the math and drawing the grid and that was it's kind of like calling a shot for an artist which i try not to do but mm-hmm. part of the rule part of the the journey elsa and i agreed to take on the book was like we're going to do a really formal piece of work and we're not going to yeah. fudge it and we're not going to break it and we're not going to yeah. cheat and like it's going to echo at scale up and down so like the page counts are the same the chapter lengths are the same the number like it's every there's no you know maybe the the most frequently spoke of piece of formal work in my life has been watchmen of course but it's not it doesn't work it 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 lodges in the craw of my ocd hoof like it's a it's a it's nine panel grids but a 12 like is it the, the clock yeah, is it units of 12, 12 or is it units of nine why didn't why, why is a watchman in a 12 panel grid if it's all about sure 12s and and you know what half of nine is is four and a half and how could that work and why does that and like the issues aren't the same like the first and the last issue of watchmen are like 27 pages and all the other right. ones are like 26 and like it doesn't no no it should be it should everything should like my crazy <laughs> yeah was like it doesn't work like why <laughs> Why isn't, why does this, ah, um, so that was the challenge. So like, let's make it work. Let's yeah. find a grid that will give us the, this crazy flexibility and then we'll echo it. So like all of the chapters are the intro and outros are six pages. All of the chapters yeah. are 12 pages. Uh, and like per, like it's that kind of whatever story we're telling this volume has to happen in 12 pages on these 12 panel grids. And how do you, and these are the only shapes that the panels can be and uh, everything. It's, it's, it's a very algebraic kind of way of, of doing things. But so I would, I would do the grid math, like literally draw boxes 
that would resemble what the page would be. And then, yeah. And then there was a whole thing too, I did with, um, I want to introduce a, a, like a dialectic kind of pace where every third panel would have a kind of snare drum crack Mm. and challenge things. So it'd be a kind of, you know, that sort of Hegel, like the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right. new thesis, right? And then you would reset in that. So every third panel, I would like, literally, I would, uh, I, I should, uh, it's, it's, it's audio, so you can't see it, but like, <laughs> sure. but like every, th- that's like, if you look at the, the, the intro to each chapter, mm-hmm. there's a, every third panel is text. Interesting. So, so those everyone's open and closed pages of those twelve page chapters. There's a panel, a panel chapter, a panel text, another panel, another panel chapter right. text, and it creates this kind of zigzag uh, down the page. Right, it gives you a diagonal, and then you go over to the right, and then you flip the page, yeah. and that kind of propels you to so that that level of every third panel had to have something that challenges. There's some conflict. There's some something that then resets the understanding of where we are and why. Right. So there's a lot of, it's like Krautrock. It's like comics by Krautrock or something. I don't know. It was really uncomfortable and awkward, but it created a really pure piece of formalism that some literally medicated part of myself was like, oh, oh, finally, (laughs) a sweet sweet mathematical perfection. It it sounds to me like just based on, you know, everything I've heard and know and and see in your work that uh, if you... If and when you and Kieran Gillen get together for a conversation, it, it would annoy a lot of people pretty quickly. Oh, sure. uh, most of us, especially, uh, 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 and, and Kieran, I think, was the one who who determined early in our careers that there was a kind of Reed Richards, Victor Von Doom, back and forth between the two of us. <laughs> who is who changes at any given moment? Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a, 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 a Kieran is a Kieran and Hickman are the two guys I know sure. that think about this shit and look it might be the uh, like i remember i get asked a lot as people who are fortunate enough to make their livings doing this do like how did you get your start Mm -hmm. and the the truth is the day i became a writer was the day i stopped thinking about what it would be like to be a writer and just started writing sure sure you know i think i think there's a i think there are people that love to give interviews about comics but don't like to write their comics Sure. Yeah. Right. Or something like that. So like the day I stopped wondering, like, should I write this kind of notebook or that kind of notebook? And what's the flow? I wonder if there's a formula. What does this pen do? And do I like this pencil and all the kind of not like the day I just started letting myself make shitty pages was the day mentally it changed. Like, sure. uh, uh, So, so that, that, and and this might be this level of preconception and like, it's difficult. It's, it's exhausting. It's, fucking exhausting being in my head is exhausting this might just be another way of asking myself should i use a red pen or a black pen sure hmm. i don't know it might, it might it might just be masturbatory stalling as far as i know but but it's also i mean it is also a way of keeping the work engaging like to you as, a, as the creator right like if yeah, you're right. if you're figuring out a new problem i personally like i i find that like when i'm working a job or when i'm working on something creatively or whatever when i've figured it out when I know everything there is to know, when I know, ex- you know, back and forth how to run the machine and how it operates, that's when I'm bored, right? And it, right. even my f- right. first job when I was right. a projectionist in a movie theater, the moment that I knew 
how to replace every part on that projector, you know, when I knew how to thread everything when there were no longer any problems at all, you know, that I didn't put a real backwards in in the right. assembly and have to like figure out how to string them all together through different platters mm-hmm. and then put them back and reverse it. Like then the job became boring and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I need to like get a different job and not work at the movie theater anymore. Right. Like, and yeah. I think that what you're talking about is, is an element that, that keeps this job every single time you try a new story, every, everything that you do, it's one element that allows the work to continuously activate you, keep you engaged and like, you know, searching for yeah. something. Yeah. There, there's, there's some, this is, this is, this is easily the most pretentious thing I've said in, in a, in a month. Excited, and I'm excited to share it with you. Please, Uh, there's some whatever like the is there a comic book equivalent of like that of like modal jazz of like of like John Coltrane? Like, listen, here's the tempo, and this is the key, and there's twelve fucking notes, buddy, and I'll see you in thirty two (laughs) bars. Like, there's something to that effect of like I I have all of these structures in place Mm -hmm. that I am well going to trust will get me from point A to point B. Right, but but. I have no idea how, where that, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, I have to, there has to be discovery on the page. There has to be question marks that need to get filled in. Right. And even though I might know, Hey, I got, I got, I got 12 more panels to figure this out. Yep. Um, or maybe it's only three panels or maybe it's five, you know, like that. Right. And then, and then how does it work with the spread? So you have all these, uh, it, it's algebraic, different yep. parts of the equation are filled up, but there have to be unknowns for me, very much like yeah. you, it sounds like to, to get solved because once it's the worst part is there's there comes a point where it just becomes typing mm-hmm. and then that it takes it's the longest part because yeah. it's not exciting anymore i find it with my art too when i it, like if i pencil a page too tightly forget it i'm done yeah, yeah. i don't want to yeah. i don't fucking want to ink that like you know i don't want to just yeah. trace my lines yeah my my, my friend tony moore used uh, to work like this i haven't i haven't sat with him while he works in, in a long time but yeah. he would do a thumb he would do a layout a really rough kind of blue pencil layout. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would scan it and blow it up. And then he would just start inking details. Interesting. So you would have what's clearly a guy walking down a street. Yeah. But he would, he would, but it's like a blue smudge of like, here's kind of a stick figure, not a little more than that, sure, sure, but, sure. but yeah. not too much. Yeah. Just, shapes. and then he would like, now I'm drawing bricks and I'm drawing <laughs> grains and bricks. And then over here, I'm going to draw a hubcap. And he would, he, so he would start with this very flowy kind of thumbnail and then just leap right into micro detail. Wow. And you would watch the page kind of populate. Yeah. But it was to not, so we didn't get bored. Well, I don't know what he's going to look like in this panel, but I know he's going to be over here. So maybe I'll draw his boots first. And it was just <laughs> Tony kind of, it was the weirdest. It was, it was like, you know, like when you black out, how like the, yeah. the kind of the speckles come in. It was like the opposite of that. It was like the speckles going away. And when the speckles are all gone, there's a Tony, there's a page of Tony Moore art. That's some, incredible. Some writer's equivalent of that, I think. Yeah. I might, that, that, like you saying that just is immediately making me go, hmm, maybe I'm going to try a couple pages like that and just see how that yeah. goes. And is it, is it frightening? Like that's, I'm always, anytime, yeah. whenever I think of something that seems frightening, I'm like, oh, that's what I got to do. I got to do the scary thing because I'm, oh, I'm nervous. Yeah. I, the biggest thing that I'm working on right now is like, I, I've, I finally got myself to the point where I'm comfortable doing work that I know is going to be bad. The thing that the hurdle that I have to cross, that's like the biggest thing that I feel like is, is holding me back right now is putting out work that I know is bad. I, I, because I have a job that I rely on by day, right? Like that I don't have to 
worry about this making my yeah. living. It's yeah. like, okay, that was bad. Ah, that page, that didn't work. Okay, I wrote that. That I don't really like that. I can just anything I can toss was, aside, not worry about. Yeah, it. no, there was that was that was the. I don't even remember the the Tim Burton Ed Wood movie. Mm. There's the bit where Ed's trying to get his way onto the studio a lot. He's like, "This is Eva D. Wood Jr. I'm the director of Glenda Glenda." Anyway, what's that? The worst piece of shit you've ever seen? Well, my next one will be better. <laughs> like that attitude is yeah. like like you don't have to do from hell every time at the plate. And that was like, oh, just let yourself suck. You'll get better yeah. later. The next yeah. one will be better as long as the next one's better. Like that, I totally get it's, that. Yeah, that that constant thing. And I'm I'm you know every 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 month it feels like I'm getting closer to it, but it's all a work in progress. Uh, one thing I want to know about November, and and this this is something actually where I wonder about that what you're talking about that tick in your brain that is. Um, really demanding that that these parts be you know the formalism be reflected top to bottom this was initially set out to be three volumes and became four sort of as, as was, advertised but tell me the story there yeah that was like a, a, a um it was just a case of the format tweaking and changing it was supposed to be originally like a serial book it was supposed oh. to be like 12 issues um but the chapter it was just it was doing the math of all right, so it's comic pages have to happen in multiples of eight, right? So the cheapest comic to do is a 20-page story with a self-cover. So you've got a cover, an inside front cover, 20 pages of comic, an inside back cover, your back cover. 24 mm-hmm. pages, 20 pages of content. That's the cheapest comic to make. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I don't do that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, so, so <laughs> two 12-page chapters means 24 pages. There felt like there needed to be some kind of division between the chapters, right. right? Some kind of slug page. So right there, that's 26 pages, which means my next increment of pages is 32. Right. So front cover, back cover, 24 pages, front cover, back cover. That's, yeah. that's, 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 that's 24 sure. plus you 26 pages. Now I've got six more pages to fill. How do I, where does those go? How did that happen? Where do you, and then, so that you're dealing with that math constantly of, yeah. of your stories have to be told multiple pages. And then what in that first volume, what configuration of those chapters is a satisfying first issue, mm-hmm. right? And then not only do you have to consider that, but because of the vagaries of the direct market, your first issue is going to be ordered at X, your second issue at Y, your third issue at Z. And it's not until the third issue that they'll have data of what you're actually selling. So there's, there's, there's something to be said that your first three issues have to have a function to move your fourth. And then like, if you set out to tell it, story in 12 parts like what if you're not going to get those 12 issues because the orders are low so how much goes in a first issue to make it engaging yeah right uh to make it something and it ended up the issues were huge were these kind of like 60 page plus books and it was like well fuck that's insane and the advance like it just the money didn't work and then image had had some success with ed brubaker and sean phillips kind of taking this, doing things in the graphic novella format. They were very excited about it. They suggested, what if it was in that? And it came out quarterly instead of monthly. Interesting. And that seemed like, Oh, cool. Okay. And, and at some point very early in the process, it was that, but it was that before I had kind of really put it together. Mm -hmm. Like it worked as an, it was, it was just kind of like bad, it was like a cover blurb. It was like a bad blurb that kind of ended up being repeated as truth. Like we changed it almost immediately, but it was too late. Yeah. The first thing had gone out that it was a trilogy of books or sure. whatever. And it was just that 
it was my fault. And then the difference came from realizing like, oh, it's the difference between the story stopping and the story ending. Sure. Interesting. Um, right. So we'll do it in four. And yeah. it wouldn't have, it was just not understanding really the shape and the pace when we had to start the solicitation cycle, because then deciding to do it as books, you have to put shit out six months early. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's like, I didn't even have the first one finished. I don't think wow. like half done and realized, like, I mean, I had it, you know, like we were in process of making it when it was like, sure. well, it looks like the issues are going to have to be 80 pages long, <laughs> I guess. And it was, so that kind of didn't, so it was just that, that it was my own fault for just not having the whole thing written, but also sure. at the same time, I mean, I, I haven't made a dime off this fucking book. So like, it's not <laughs> like I could just sit and write forever, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, comics, to me, and I mean, this is probably just me having my own like too strong opinions, but I don't feel like comics is the medium where you should have it all completely written and figured out before uh, making it. Yeah, like I it mean, feels like a more emotional and raw medium. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's something to be said for the serial nature. Other, I mean, the other thing is like, oh, this should really should have been a graphic novel. It is sure. one big book. Um, and is that something that you feel like you'd do differently if you were to to start this project today? Well, but I maybe, but like that requires like i said i haven't made a i haven't worked on this book for three years and i have not seen a dime right elsa got advances on the first three but even those were fractions of what her rate would have been had she had been producing 20 pages a month for a monthly comic like it just changes the economic reality who what artists could afford to not bring in money yeah in the time it takes to draw uh uh 320 pages you know right yeah um so in a perfect world, maybe, um, I still think there's something about the way the story was structured. It was written as a sequential yeah. experience. I don't know. Sure. I've never written a graphic novel that big. The graphic novels I've written are all kind of in the hundred page range, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it, it would have made more financial sense in sure. the long run. I don't, but I think it would have been a different kind of story and experience and all that. And also, I don't know. Yeah. It's then the thing you have to write, you know, part of the reason I was doing Jimmy Olsen was because yeah. <laughs> it was not, like I needed to bring money in, right? Like there's that sure. just kind of reality of like work for higher comics. We'll get you a paycheck. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't it's know that the, I'll ever the, see money off of November. Um, I, I wonder about that. I wonder about that. You know, the, the format being what it is being a very unique thing. Um, but I also do think much like, uh, to me, at least the, the, you know, Brubaker and Phillips, uh, books in that format recently, these do all feel like books that have longer legs than most comics I, in most formats. I hope, I hope, I hope. And, and it's unfair to, I mean, look, the second volume was done. We printed in China. Yeah. China closed boats, mm. closed borders, closed everything. Right. We had no idea. We didn't even get FOC numbers for our second volume. We didn't know when it was coming out. It just showed mm. up. Um, because China closed until they were through the, their, their, their part of the pandemic. So like it was, it was a difficult format in the most easiest, best, quietest of times. And it probably would have done better that the entire world shut down between one and two did us no favors. Yeah. And, and I think like that to me in terms of like uh, any book launching at that time, particularly in, in kind of a a fairly new format was, uh, Yeah. Doomed to not hit the successes that it was going to. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully, as things go on, and look, Elsa is a superstar, and she yeah. is on a you know her next project is going to be massive, and maybe yeah. as she continues her ascendancy, more people will seek it out and explore it, and maybe it's more appealing that they're all sitting together, you know, that you can buy all four at one at one time now. Yeah. I don't know. I, and um, I, I think that that's a huge element. I do think that like with stories like this, where it's a sequential novella format, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, and obviously like the TV shows and movies and stuff play into that, but I'm sure things like Game of Thrones and Harry Potter or whatever sold more after the, I guess Game of Thrones oh, was wrapped, sure. but like, you know, once there's enough, you know, sort of digestible material that people can kind of spend a long time in the world, um, it seems as though it only elevates uh yeah obviously like i don't know that that's that's my own opinion I but i like i love this format so much that i really am am hoping that it continues to succeed and and succeed in in various genres yeah i mean it's it's very european right it's the yeah. kind of standard in europe that just sort of and like, the other thing about ed and sean is ed and sean have been doing what ed and sean do for 20 years it is a retailers have 20 years of sales data yeah uh and sales success to look at whereas I read a really difficult read with yeah. someone fairly new yeah. in her career over here and fairly unknown on a level. And it just sort of, and then the world got really difficult. And like, yeah, you know, when, when you know, my first book that I ever did was priced at a dollar 99 at a time when the industry was at $3 or, you know, yeah. three fifty, And I had a retailer saying to my face, like, I would rather sell, a $5 book I know nothing about than a $2 book I know nothing about because if I sell the $5 book, then I make $5. Right. And like, right. like, like literally there's a perceived value. It wasn't worth these guys to get off the stool to try and push uh, a book that was cheap, but you know, where they would literally, well, I'd rather sell this $5 transformers book. I don't give a shit about than yours that I don't give a shit about. Cause at least that way I'll make five bucks. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's math. I get it. I get yeah. five is more than two. You got me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a low margin business. Like I can see, I can see their thinking. I think that it's, it's, um, Oh, it's a bummer, but yeah, totally. It's totally logical. Yeah. But it's a, yeah. Yeah. And it's short sighted, but, um, you know, like, what are you going to do? I guess. Um, but no, it's interesting. And, and like, truly, I think this book, especially, you know, the audience of this show in particular, right? Like, and, and I know this because, you know, I talk to them a lot. People send me messages and, and, you know, like the, the outreach we have is always great. There's a lot of creators who listen to this show, people who are, are making their own comics who are early in sort of their their journey of, of you know, working on this medium and some who are, are you know, uh, have been doing it for a while. But I do think this is the kind of book that anyone who enjoys craft and enjoys dissecting the medium can really sink their teeth into. Um, it, it, <laughs> thank you. Um, um, that's as somebody who as just as a reader and loves books like that yeah like that that means that that's thank you very much that's no, of uh, course. there there was some conscious so after like the kind of sensation that sex criminals was there was that sense of like oh this this is what do you do after a massive commercial and critical hit yeah like do you do the next version of that or do you do like kid a yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like do you do do you do okay computer two or kid a and it's like all right, right. well there's two kinds of bands in the world, I guess. Yep. And and I'm going to let me go do the difficult thing that I'll never have a chance to do again with well, the no. murderer's row of people. <laughs> I'll never have a chance to work with again. 
Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you like that because it's a thing that I get really excited about in film too, right? Like people like Ang Lee or the Wachowskis or people like that. You know, I, I listen to Blank Check, which is a great oh, podcast sure. about those types of things. Yeah. And I, I love those directors who go, I just had a massive hit. I can, you know, do whatever the hell I want right now. Let me do something that's interesting, weird, difficult, pushes yeah. something yeah. forward in a way, yeah. so, stretches so, the media. Soderbergh, Soderbergh is my, totally. you know. Like, like that's the perfect example of like, so let's do Kafka, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Man, I tried, I, I, I had just, uh, the first TV show I ever worked on was canceled right as Soderbergh's mosaic was starting to shoot, uh, in oh, Utah. Yeah. And I was trying so hard to jump onto that crew, partially because I was scared to move to LA and take that jump. But like, sure. uh, partially because it was like, this is an, it was the first that I'd ever heard of like an interactive movie. Right, like it's right. but also different. an app. <laughs> yeah, but also yeah, an app. Yeah. What, how do you even uh, like? I, I was so intrigued by by what the hell it was. Um, yeah, he's such a what a. I love that. I love anybody that's restlessly creative like that. Totally. Yeah, and and just to be someone who's like, you know what, you might not know this is mine. If you're right, yeah. like, you know, someone who's yeah. reading it isn't going to go, oh, there's the Soderbergh touch. Oh, there's yeah. the, you know, this has the the Zack the, Snyder the, slow-mo action scene. Like the Nick is the perfect, right? I'm going to yeah. shoot a 13 hour movie and my name is going to be fourth build. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so so one thing that I've looked at, because I've I've backed both of Elsa's Kickstarters and, and I'm I'm always fascinated by her process. Um because she is someone who I also feel like kind of like you're saying, like her work, you always will kind of distinctly know it's her work, but she does so many different things from project to project. And one thing I find fascinating about the way she works is that she seems to be someone who puts down a lot of detail in her pencils and, and gets like really, really, really detailed in pencils. And then when she inks and it's kind of like what we're talking about of like keeping it interesting, it seems like when she inks, she strips those details away. Right. And, and bears it, breaks it down to its bare minimum. This is interesting uh, uh, because she actually worked analog on November. She was a a creator who had worked digitally entirely until we started in November. And then she like literally taught herself how to do her work with a pencil and a brush. Mm -hmm. That same thing. Like, Oh, I've gotten bored. I'm bored with working on it. Okay. Now I have to learn how to use a brush. Right. And it changed the character of the work. It changed the tooth. It changed mm-hmm. everything. It changed the work. Yeah. Um, Elsa is a monster. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean like as a bad person. I mean no. she is a protean, ferocious, ambitious, yeah, limitless. Uh, like you know her origin story. Yeah, she, it's it's one of my most like coveted things because I I have been teaching myself to draw so that I can do comics and she her and. Pierrick were yeah. like he was wanting to write comics yeah. and so and he was new and nobody would draw them because he was new and she's like oh okay of course huge problem I'll learn how to I'll learn how to draw yeah she just taught herself to draw and is like Mazzucchelli and Darwin Cook like <laughs> she's a sponge she reads everything she looks at everything she thinks constantly she works harder than anybody and you know she's in the she's heading towards this place of like Alex Toth and yeah. You said Massa Kelly. It was like, she did a Batman thing. She sent me this Batman thing the other day. And mm-hmm. she's like, Hey, look, I did a Batman. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you fucking did. And like, yeah. and you can see Massa Kelly and you can see Darwin, but more than anything, you see Elsa. And it's like, I just, I, I don't know where you're going, but I fucking love watching you get there. Yeah. And I'll, I, I just, she's just a monster. She's the best. 
you can see so many of the influences, but at the same time, there's not ever a time where you look at a panel of hers and go, oh, this is just like that person. Right. There's never right. a time that it looks just like anyone else. It's it's always right. so distinctly hers. Right. And, you know, um, American superhero work for higher comics are so cowardly and the, yeah. um, everybody is so worried about getting fired that, that no one takes interesting chances. So she got herself pigeonholed very quickly and wanted to do something that was not like anything she had done before. Yeah. Um, didn't want to do, she was getting very quickly reduced to a, well, you draw, you don't draw like Jim Lee. So that must mean you're an artist for young adults and children. Um, um, so she wanted to do something totally yeah. that was different than that. And now it's impossible to look at her and not see that kind of Darwin esque Parker kind of thing, you know, totally. um, um, so mission accomplished there, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I, th- th- that's the thing that I think, and, look like the young adult and and young reader marketplace in comics right now is 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 the breadwinner there's no shade to that like that that market is booming and and there's great but yeah like she's someone who has such potential to do whatever the hell she wants and if she wanted to keep doing that of course great but like yeah there's there's so much more to her work and i and i applaud the uh the effort that you guys made in sort of branching away from that and and making sure that this could be a work that was like so distinctly different from all that yeah Um, yeah there's there's nothing about this and there's nothing in common with the artists that drew November and the artists that did the unstoppable wasp. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, um, but like, like, like this in American comics, we had to fight for Davi to do the covers for Hawkeye. Right. It's that's the level of, of fear Unbelievable. Um, that these places function under because look, they have yeah. sales margins they have to hit and they have a, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a marketplace designed to, to reward a creative risk taking. It is just so funny because like, <sighs> And again, it is a it's a it's a short term medium. Everyone's thinking quarterly. Everyone's thinking monthly. Everyone's thinking of like what's the immediate you know success. They're not thinking of what's going to be making us money ten years from now. But like, the only works that are making money a decade on are the ones who did something different than what was on the shelves at the time. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, Raina Tuggemeier is keeping the lights on in bookstores. I don't mean yeah. comic bookstores. I mean bookstores. Raina yeah. Tuggemeier sells so many comics. The New York Times had to put graphic novel bestsellers <laughs> back because it was fatuous to suggest bookstores. She's keeping the lights yeah. on. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, what, when, when the American comic book marketplace said that women and children were never interested or would never read comics, women and children and non-white people went ahead and just built their own comics industry anyway without us. And now it's like, Hey, direct market, you can yeah. join or die. Yeah. Um, um, because Elsa, people who draw, there's, there's more books sold by people who draw like Elsa than there are people who draw like Jim Lee. Down um, by far. <laughs> and, and Especially fact, and globally, that, but even just in the States. Also, you know whose comics I can buy at fucking Target? Yeah. Raina Tuggemeier. You know who I can't? Jim Lee. Or whomever. Like, I love Jim Lee. Yeah, but yeah like, you're just using, because everyone sort of modeled yeah, themselves. But, a lot but of the you can literally buy box sets of Raina's work at Costco and Target. And like, that's insane. So. It's one of those ways that I do feel... Um, the direct market has done a disservice to the medium. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, no, it's, a, it's a he-man woman haters club. It's a closed system. And the problem is that you can't get new. Yeah. It's, it's, it's dying on the vine. Yeah. Which like, hey, look, the readers are dying on the vine. Cause they're all 70. It's at least reassuring that it's like, okay, like the, it's not like the medium is going to die. Right. It's that the direct market might. Right. It's, have it's you been to that, Japan? I have not. That's, that's one of those things that's like up there on the bucket list. Uh, the first, time you know I went, I went to japan and the first time i, I saw a manga store i'm, I'm sure there's yeah. a name for it that isn't manga right. store 
I just took pictures of it because like I wanted to prove it exists. Look, yeah. this is as big as a Barnes and Noble and all it sells are phone book size comics and it's packed to the rafters with people. Like yeah. it's not comics. The problem isn't comics. No. The problem is the comics we're making. <laughs> and have been for 70 years. Yeah, because it's and it's a thing, you know, I, I talk about this with my girlfriend a lot. Like, you know, there there are a lot of people, particularly, you know, women who who feel like there is nothing in this medium for them. Of right? course. Right. They do not read comics because there has never been presented the possibility that maybe there are stories that are written for them, made for them, drawn for them. Right. Uh, and so then, and especially because then over the course of your life, the older you get, the more you're sort of putting up the barrier for that. Because anytime yeah. someone tries to impregnate that wall, it's like, no, 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 that's, I don't, fuck, I don't, yeah. that's not my shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same. What do you think? Women just never told jokes. <laughs> Uh, uh, black people didn't discover laughter until 1978. Like what's the, like that same thing of like, Oh, women aren't funny. Really? You think women just never, never. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's the industry uh, is just constantly having to relearn that human behavior is universal. And like people right. don't, you know, people right. at the core of it have the same desires and sensibilities as anyone else does. Yeah. No, um, I had literal, literal screaming arguments with retailers, award-winning direct market elder spokespeople of comics insisting women and kids are never going to read comic books. And then I go to fucking borders and women and kids are laid out like cordwood yeah. in the aisle, like, like, like buying hundred dollar stacks of big Tankuban and like, no, they just don't want to read your fucking comics, old man. They don't want right. to see Batman punching Joker anymore. Right. Like, why? if that was all that, uh, you know, I'm not the world's biggest superhero movie fan, um, but, like, I get bummed out when there's nothing but, on. you know, like, why would you want to go to a movie multiplex that just shows Westerns? A Western yeah. is great, but, like, uh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, there's so much more out there. Like, there's, there's, it's that's not the only audience, and that's not only the only potential. Like, uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah. The, 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 the direct market can grow, or it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like, comics are going to be fine. Yeah, I don't. The direct market oh, is on. another issue. Yeah, there's a million other ways. I mean, like, you know, obviously TKO is proving they don't need the direct market to be successful. There's also things like Webtoon and Tapas and, and and you know, a million other platforms yeah. that people are telling comics that have nothing to do with the direct market. Yeah, yeah the direct market is so toxic, it has given rise to the to digital comics. Yeah. And that's, and that's and that's the thing that we could talk about, the convenience of everybody having like, digital comics. I mean, everybody has a comic shop in their pocket, and that's great. Mm. But also, if people felt welcome going to comic shops, they wouldn't need one it remains a physical experience and it will always be a physical experience. And, 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 and like me and Kel's our, our, our digital comic numbers are out. Like we break the bell curve. Wow. Um, but we know our audience is not the traditional, yeah. you know, it's probably different now, but like, but like sure. we, we, for a long time, we were the outliers that wrecked the bell curve. It was like, Oh, it's because the people, some of the people reading our stories, are not welcome in the direct marketplace and the yeah. direct marketplace is built to tell them to stay away. Yeah. Um, um, and and so I, they do, just I, I often wonder how much that, like that exact problem has given way because the, you know, people talk a lot and, and it's a, you know, I think a serious problem in a medium where, where the margins are so low and, and, uh, and many of the creators are, are, you know, trying to support themselves on this and, and not being able to, uh, the, the piracy problem, right? Like, I wonder how much of, of the rise of piracy in comics is because there are a, a high number of people who don't feel um, comfortable or at home. And obviously I think there's multiple things feeding into that, but like, I, I wonder how much of that is like people who just 
do not feel like they have a place going into a comic book store? I think that's some of it. I think some of it is convenience. I think sure. some of it is, is theft. Um, um, but also I think some of it is it, it, it's, we're asking people to pay $4 for 20 pages that you cannot, right. like it has not comics price has skyrocketed. The content, the value has not. Sure. Um, um, and it is, Kel uh, actually has the number of like in her head, it's, but it's shocking how comic content is not adjusted for inflation the way price has. Um, mm. And like, that's at the end of the day, it's like the, the model doesn't make sense. And, right. um, um, it would be like blaming libraries for declining book sales. Like right. I, I'm not going to penalize somebody that wants to sample yeah. something that it otherwise would pay $4 for to determine if they want to spend $16 for it in a couple of months. I also think too, that like, if you love a book, even if you read it, you read it on your Kindle, you love a comic, you read it on comics, like you're going to physically acquire it. I, I definitely think that's true. That's, that's a good point. Um, the, it, it could, because it's not, even DVDs don't work. It's, it's, it's like why vinyl is so popular now. Mm-hmm. There's more demand than there are manufacturers. Like it's a, wow. uh, uh, we want the physical artifact of art we love. Yeah. So there's nothing ever special about CDs or DVDs unless you're like tool. Right. But like, there's no sure. joy necessarily in that or a DVD is just a fucking disc in a blue box. But like there's, there's a, there's something sumptuous about the visual experience of a comic. Right. So, and, and, and talking about some of this, I, and, and I, I heard you talk early on in quarantine about how you felt like there was an opportunity for comics to evolve and to change. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and it seems as though, it seems as though that hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, only I could go into a global pandemic optimistic. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think there's still, you know, I think, I think maybe the, the change is a little subtler and might take a little longer to evolve, but in terms of on the creative end, do you feel like currently this industry is, is, is getting more or less innovative? You know, it seems obviously that there are, there are elements that are, and I, and I think particularly right now, like maybe in the big two, if we're talking about the direct market, do you, do you feel that direction is going upward or downward? I think direct market comics feel really stagnant to me right now. Um, it feels very fallow, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I think it ebbs and, you know, I think it, it comes sure, and goes sure. in waves. Right now, it, it feels like it's in a very low energy kind of place. Mm. Um, uh, but like, there's more indie and boutique work that I can keep up with that right. I find exciting. And, you know, um, um, some of my, I live in Portland, Oregon, and there is a cornucopia of great comic shops here. And yeah. each one caters to a different audience. Yeah. And some and of them you know even I mean? put out their own comics. I mean, Floating World has started putting a, out their own a, comics. A floating World is my my jam of choice, and I and I and I, I mean, at this point, I've been there more than a year. <laughs> but but I would I would kind of go in like twice a year and walk out with like four hundred dollars of books mm. I had never heard of, and I'm fairly mm. plugged into shit. You yeah. know, um, I think comics are so exciting and so interesting and so vital. Whether you're talking about like. Um, uh, 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 yeah, like, um, have you been to CXC in Columbus? I haven't. It's, it's really great. Or like SPX, shows like SPX, like the, yeah. the kind of shows that there's so much great, exciting work happening by artists that we're at a generation now of kids who came up in comics reading Scott Pilgrim or yeah. Walking Dead, or like it hasn't ever occurred to the kids who are making comics now 
that, oh, you make comics because you want to do Batman, mm-hmm. right? It's never like there's a, there's a generation that came up reading comics of people making their own original work and not servicing right. 80 year old trademarks. Yeah. And that's really exciting. So there's everything exciting is not happening in mainstream comics right totally. now. I, I'm sure mainstream comics will get itself something interesting is going to happen. Yeah, eventually they'll um, have to start hiring those people who are doing that interesting work because, uh, right. you know, at some point their creators start dying out or stop, you know, selling books. Yeah, but like um, Brian Bendis teaches uh, uh, yeah. uh, with David Walker a class out here. And like the first time I lectured, I asked like, well, how many people, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about. How many people here want to work at like Marvel or DC and how many people here know who Brian is? And like everybody's hand went up. Right. And the last time I lectured the class in person, I asked the same question and uh, only two people were aware of who Brian was when they signed wow. up to take the class. And the other person, the one person was like, yeah, no, I just, I'll work anywhere. I don't right. care. Right. Any right. port in a storm. But like, no, these are like, but the, 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 the 17, 18, 19 year old college kids was like, why would I want to draw somebody else's character? I don't want to draw Raina's character. I want to be Raina. Right. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the difference now. And there's a generational shift happening of people who grew up reading comics that they didn't buy in the direct market, that they bought at Barnes and Noble, that they bought right. at Borders, that they bought anywhere, mm-hmm. but you know, the Android's dungeon. And that's yeah. exciting. That's really cool. Well, and it seems even, cause I, I, it's kind of funny. I I'm of the generation of, of people who grew up on Scott Pilgrim. Um, but I, for whatever reason, I, I found big two comics first. Um, sure, you know, I ended sure. up reading O'Malley and, and a lot of that different stuff, but, and so I have a, a like a, 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 you know, close relationship with um, big two stuff. But so many people my age, like their their most influential comics are the exactly the ones you're talking about, and our manga and our, you know, like that that wave of books that was sort of coming over and, and being, you know, published at that time in the early two thousands. Sure. Um, and and but, when it when it when it felt like there was no, it felt like another world because yeah. it was yeah. You know, like it was so refreshing to read books by people that didn't give a shit about Batman. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I, I, I it's it's interesting, too, because I think even the people who do have, you know, a, a strong I mean, at least speaking for myself, but also the, the people that I've met later in life who are of my same age that, that had a relationship with with big two stuff. It seems like it's always a thing of like, oh, yeah, if that comes across, then, of course, it'd be a way to like, you know increase my platform and allow me to sell more of my actual, you know, the books that I'm making for myself. Like it's never really a, I want to do the yeah. dance lot thing. Yeah. Nobody's nobody, nobody starts working for no brow press yeah. because really I can't wait to get to captain America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, but yeah, no brow, um, um, silver, is it silver cloud? Is it silver cloud? Is that right? Silver sprocket. Sound right. silver sprocket, but they're in yes, yeah, silver sprocket. Um, um, Koy- Andy Koyama, who like deserves an, a medal or a yeah. uh, 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 hollow press out of Italy, like I will uh, inter- fill me with every like just keep me. I man, the 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 yeah the the, the 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 comics I buy more and more these days are less and less this this kind of size and more. Yeah. I can't keep them anywhere anymore. You know what I mean? Totally. Like it's just this weird pile of strange resographed. Yeah. Like, uh, your comics have words. Uh, like, I love it. Like, <laughs> so exciting and so refreshing. Just because it's not what I do. If anything yeah. else, it's not my shit, right? It's yeah. a, it's a. You don't you want to think about work when you're uh, not working, type thing, like right. sort of thing. Um, right, right. So to 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 kind of wrap up some of the November stuff, and then you know, uh-huh. hoping to to uh, with our last few minutes here, sure. I don't take too much of your time, but um, last few minutes, I want to talk about a, a, a few of your other projects just sort of quickly. But yeah. you know, you recently, like you alluded to. Uh, 
did the the second commentary edition of November, which involved you sort of going back through your entire process, digging through your notebooks and seemingly kind of having expl- to explain it to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you learn about your own process and your own your your own work? Like what was that experience like for you revisiting the work and and, and how did you come away from it feeling? It was a it was hard. Um because it's not like we don't really think in words, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So then having to make that happen was difficult. Looking at the amount of work I did, like it's also spoke to a kind of place when I started it that I'm not at anymore. So it was revisiting like a really difficult time in my life. Sure. Emotionally and seeing how I was working it out. Um, and, and more than anything, I was struck by there's got to be a simpler way. I know there's simpler ways to do it, but I'm never going to do them that way. Sure. And having to kind of get comfortable with that. Like I think about a story that David Bowie told when he did the song for the Ricky Gervais show mm-hmm. uh, extras. And he's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, well, so what do you want it to sound like? And Ricky Gervais says, oh, I don't know. Maybe like, like life on Mars is something like, and, and Bowie was like, Oh sure. I'll just do that. Like if you could write life on Mars every time mm-hmm. you would write life on Mars every time. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not going to be, Mark Miller or Jeff Loeb, I could try and I have, and I'm not. So that means it is somehow easier to labor under all the ridiculous challenges and obstacles I lay forth for myself than it is to pretend that I know how to do what Jeff Loeb does. Sure. Um, Or Mark Miller, any of those guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it was just that just accepting this, like, Oh, I'm not a duck. I'm a goose or something. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was having to try and make it understandable was difficult just mm-hmm. because, and then having to make sure it was logical because all of this stuff happened. None of it happens. Chronal life. Our thoughts happen in parallel with other thoughts. I'm doing, you're over doing six other things. Right. Yeah. And, and at some point this, the, the, the plot changed because I changed and I realized I wasn't the person I didn't want to write the ending. I thought I was going to, I was heading towards anymore. Yeah. And it was work and it was more work, but I wanted to go somewhere else now. Like Mm -hmm. that was, that was the thing of like, Oh, that was a mental health thing. That was a, right. Like seeing that it was, it was weird. It was like going through diaries. I didn't remember writing in some ways and then having to explain what the fuck was all about. I don't know. Um, It's as close to a textbook as I think I'm ever going to write. Yeah. Sure. So that'll, that's something maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to dig through that. I there's, especially in comics. I mean, you get it in film a lot where people like really, you know, because there's such a larger industry around it, but you get in film people sort of dissecting their process and going through it, you know, more often, yeah. but it's pretty rare in comics. Yeah. And that, I think the other thing too, is like, I don't, it's not my job to say what it means. Yeah. Right? I don't want to say what I was trying to do. Yeah. Uh, that's not for me to, to, to define for anybody. It's like, so how do you do that? How do you talk about why you made these choices without trying to interpret things for people? Right. right. So right. That's interesting. A very art school exercise somehow. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's fascinating. Uh, I mean, revisiting one's work is always such an illuminating experience about like just what you're going through in, in your own head. Yeah, and two, um, you know, when when I'm not writing anything at the moment. Yeah, we're um, kind of in a, a liminal space right now between endings and beginnings. Yeah, everything, you know, start of quarantine, everything ended. And last spring, when it became clear that our kids weren't going back to school for the next year because the 
we had no functional federal government, like Kelly Sue was engaged on a lot of different things and I just wrapped everything up and it was like, it became a choice to not keep going on things. Right. It's like I cut loose collaborators I had on the hook and I pulled out of a couple of obligations before it was time to start writing them. Right. Um, so I could be kind of a stay at home dad and our, our remote school adjunct. And that's yeah. all I do. Like that's kind of it. So it was like, also sure. it was the only thing I was writing was this kind of analysis of my own work. Yeah. Very, very strange for sure. How do you think that that like writing all those endings between November sex criminals, Jimmy Olsen, um, you know, obviously first arc of arc of adventure, man, uh, writing all those endings at the same time, taking the time away from writing comics, spending the time with your kids, being in quarantine, all of this stuff. How do you feel like this last, you know, year plus has, uh, affected the way that you are sort of looking to approach these next beginnings whenever those happen? I don't know. I think because I haven't, I don't know when the beginnings are going to start sure. quite yet. I'm real close. I think I'll have a better answer in like a month. Um, but really I've been trying to not work and to just let myself be fallow and it's impossible, well, but yeah. like I've written, a, I say like, I'm not writing anymore. Like, <laughs> well, except for adventure man and a couple of short stories I wrote sure. and this other thing and this other thing, you know, so it's like, it's not entirely true, but, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I had been in another phase in my life where a bunch of stuff wrapped up at the same time. Yeah. And I was not emotionally in a place to handle it because mm-hmm. it was overlapping with a period where everybody in my life was dying. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this fucking sucks. Like it was bad. And I was not prepared. I'm, right. But this time seeing it coming, I knew I had the warning of like, hey, remember the last time all of your windshield wipers ended up? sinking and all these books ended and and, then, yeah. and you were very and now there's this global pandemic and, and a quarter million people are going to die half a million people are going to die in right. america like get ahead of the morning right right get ahead of the get get a, understand these aren't endings these are like understand what this means like so i, yeah. I had a chance to say goodbye you know sure yeah um um and that saw the end moments of november tweak and change and that saw uh, there's something Sex Criminals, the end of Sex Criminals was very much a writing at a real, it was very much me talking about this moment right. as much as it was talking about Sex Criminals, as much as it was wrapping up the story of Sex Criminals. So, right, right. Um, I think if, if the last phase was very much about goodbyes, then the next ones will be very much about hellos, right? The next thing will be very much about beginnings. And that's really exciting and really yeah. interesting. And I don't know what it's going to look like right now, but I know there's not going to be flashbacks. <laughs> there you go. And it, it does kind of feel like both times it's been very parallel to the world at large, right? You're writing endings as the world is ending. And it kind of, to me, sort of, you know, knock on wood, but it feels as though you're writing, you're going to start writing beginnings as the world is kind of starting anew again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. And then yeah. that's the other thing too, is some of the stuff maybe I thought I was going to write, I'm not writing anymore. Right. You know, um, totally different place now, I'm sure mentally. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, I don't want to tell that story right now. I don't tell, I don't right. need to tell it. You know, I, I was right before my son was born. I was working on a kind of a true crime thing about this famous uh, child murder in Kansas city where mm-hmm. I was living at the time. Um, and it was kind of like the first s- sensational murder that television covered. Right. Right. And that was going to be what the story was about. But, it, but, but, but the crime was monstrous. A couple of alcoholics kidnapped, uh, a kid, um, the child of a, of a, of a car dealership owner, mm-hmm. put the kid in a shallow grave and they shot him in the head and they buried him. And like, just a nightmare, awful, yeah. awful story. But 
television covered it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and sensationalized I was, it and started sort of a new, yeah. In the weeds of telling the story and doing the work of research. And like, I love that. I love doing historical sure. research on stuff. And then I had a kid and I was like, nope, not going to do the story anymore. Put the yeah. shit into a box and got rid of it. Yeah. Like, that's just not, I'm not in a, I'm not in a dead kid's <laughs> place. Not the time for it. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's going to be stories about surviving. I think stories about beginnings stories about yeah, surviving. I know that it's going to be stories about surviving. I know. For, I know that much is, I know that much is right. That's really interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I, I live with and, and share my life with someone who, uh, uh, is sober has gone you know through uh, the program and and I find a lot of interesting things about it. and and also as someone who who creates and writes and, and tells stories um, and I find that there's a lot of interesting and unique ways which that experience uh, uh, makes her view and approach writing people mm-hmm. um, I'm 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 just curious because I I think it it, it from the outside looking in, it seems as though it makes you view people, their struggles and their sort of internal world a lot differently than, than people who, who are not. And I'm curious if, you know, how you feel that, that, that your sobriety affects the way that you write people. Well, I think for good or for ill of the, in the writing, it, mm-hmm. it certainly provides a lens, right? Like, um, I, I think an essential part of sobriety is learning how to be, compassionate and forgiving with yourself right and that creates an empathy greater than what we had maybe on the other side of it um so that i think there's a there's a empathy and an understanding to even the most monstrous people that Mm -hmm. that we write um um we might think we know what their what their solutions are when we'd be (laughs) totally wrong but like i think it i think it, it creates a a a well of humanity that that alcoholics and addicts maybe you're drinking and using to try and compensate for right you know? right yeah um how how, how do you feel I would, love to, I would love to hear that question of other sober writers i would love to hear their answers i i'm really curious about it too honestly it's it's something that i was just talking about with her the other day because i it, it it was something that i had noticed and never really put a voice to for a while i never consciously thought about <laughs> you know, there's another thing too where like if you've been like we can spot each other at 100 yards yeah there's there's like shibboleths and secret words not even deliberately, but like it pops up. You're like, you're sober. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, like I remember, like I love uh, David Milch. Mm-hmm. Uh, John from Cincinnati is a show about sobriety. No one will ever fucking convince me otherwise. Uh-huh. I will. I can give me a, a, a napkin and a, and a marker. I will draw for you how John from Cincinnati is a story about the 12 steps. Yeah. And it's, and it's like that kind of experience of like everybody I knew was like, the fuck is this show? And I was like, Oh, I, and at that point I was, you know, maybe, maybe six months into my program. So I was sure. like, this is, I'm here for it. This is like fucking church, man. Yeah. Uh, but that thing of like recognizing in other people's work, like sober, 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 yeah. used to be sober, not sober anymore, <laughs> needs to be sober. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does. I mean, it, it's funny how often it happens. We'll be, you know, at the dog park or something, she'll start talking to someone. And within like a minute, it's like, they're, they're already talking about, you know, the program they're talking about all this. Like it's, it's yeah. Um, yeah. There's every now and yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, well, you know, going to the dog park is such a dubious comfort of Matt. What? Ah, Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I know where I met you. Um, uh, how, how do you feel? You know, I, I, I think especially right now you're in such a 
creator owned, you know, centric and, and experimental creator owned centric place in your career. Uh, uh, and over the last decade, it's taken so many different forms from the big two stuff and periodical and whatever. How do you feel your writing process has changed over the years? Or do you think that that's kind of stayed consistent throughout the different phases? No, no, it changes phase to phase. That's kind of the thing is like when, when all of the experiments become crutches, sure. like everything has to get blown up and started over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, that's, that's part of the, it's like projects I'm half working on and right. noodling towards and like already it's starting to feel a little bit different because I don't want to do the thing where I sit down and push my brain into algebra. Like right. what if it was enjoyable? What if I trusted that after the thousands of pages I've written that I will be able to make it work Yeah, and that I will trust. And that what, what if I stop trying to treat these things like novels where you have to preconceive the whole thing at once and write backwards and forwards at the same time, but rather write this as an, exp- you know, like that kind of freedom of like, no, it's like, it's lazy when you can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. cowardice when you can't do it. I know I can do it. So yeah. what if I choose not to? Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> okay. So that's interesting. Right. Yeah. So that's what frightens me. So then right. I should do that. Let me try yeah. that. Um, I know I want it to be less. I want to distribute the work weight more evenly across the process. Mm. So it's not so weighted in a notebook before a thing is typed, but rather, I, you know, I love writing plot style. Um, that's why I want to, like, that's part of it. I don't want to find ways to learn really right up until the end. I don't know. I would love to get back into a monthly serial superhero or some kind of genre comic on a deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and flex those muscles and just try to do something pure sensation and not so cerebral. I know right. I want to, you know, I want to try more multi, I want to, I want to do a bigger ensemble, right? Like I, that was fun about November and getting into it in an adventure man is like, Oh, big casts are fun. And that's always cool to weave out. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure I'm doing a good job of defining any of it quite yet. I mean, the, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It'll be something not at all like what it just did. That's for sure. Going, 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 going from November, which we've just talked about being so you know formalistic and rigid and and very you know like uh, uh, thought through to plot style seems like a very you know uh, fitting move to to move fully into that section of like you know yeah yeah, yeah. like like I don't know whatever Elsa and I do next it's gonna be. F- four or five panel pages a page. You know what I mean? Sure, like, yeah. like something Ranking like that. Pages. Like it, yeah. Just kind of manga esque. Sure. Like, like, I don't know. Let's, let's do something like Vagabond. Um, yeah. Um, That's dope. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring yeah. it out. Well, uh, with these last few minutes, I want to kind of, um, you know, not to call it a, a highlight reel or anything, but, but sort of just sure. quickly touch on some of your, uh, this, this was my life. Projects. <laughs> um, so what, one thing I find interesting or one period I find very interesting is, is when you were doing um, Savant and, and also, you know, the, the CBR column after that. Um, and one thing that, that seemingly has been fully stricken from the Internet or is impossible to find is uh, it seems you had a column in CBR about your first year in comics. And you've mentioned before that a lot of the conversations with different people had so much information which couldn't be put into the piece because it involved every every conversation i had for a year was don't write about this on the internet <laughs> so I, so i couldn't i couldn't really do what it should have done is i should have written it the following year yeah um 
because then I could have written about, but I committed to writing this column was actually be paid for it. And like, I suddenly couldn't write about what I was supposed to write about. So I had to kind of, that's interesting. Is there, is there anything now that, you know, being however many years on anything that you, that sticks out to you as something that you were not able to put in or write about that now you could sort of share with the the distance of, of, uh, Oh, you know, when I was, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but I had a really great job. Some friends and I out of art school started a motion graphics and design and animation company. Mm -hmm. And that was how I made my living. And it was creatively satisfying and like successful. Like I made, I I know we were making money. Yeah. Um, um, So I was able to say no to a lot more than I ever said yes to. And I, I didn't recognize at the time what a privilege that was and how much like they're not used to people who say no, it just makes them want you more. Sure. So that was happening a lot. Like a lot of the things I didn't write about, I just didn't want to embarrass somebody because it wasn't like there was some big secret, but like nobody needs to know a project you turned down because some other writer is going to get it and yeah. do it. And you don't want them to find out, oh, I was your second choice. Totally. Like yeah. it wasn't like a, a, a trade secret. It's just like, I don't want to be shitty. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But, uh, but that was, I didn't, just living it in that moment. I didn't recognize all I remember kind of writing about were my own original ideas that I was working towards. And so it was, so it forced me to kind of produce on a deadline and that was cool, but I wasn't recognizing all of the work for hire conversations I was having. 98% of them were like, Oh no, thanks. This isn't for me. I don't have anything to say about Jubilee. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do a Jubilee miniseries, right? Sure. Find a, uh, find, 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 find a, find a, a, an author who has something to say about it. Yeah. Um, so I remember that, but like the, I stopped kind of right when I ended at Marvel. Um, and that, that year would have been interesting just because of the, you know, Mark Miller and Steve McNiven were doing civil war and Mark got very ill right. and Marvel had to pretty much overnight invent a quarter of publishing, which is really how I got in was wow. they needed to invent a quarter of books because civil war wasn't happening. Yeah. So they had to do, you know, but like, like the Punisher book I wrote, I wrote issue one, issue four, issue five, issue th- three, six, two, I wow. think was the order, or maybe it was just three, two, but number two was the last of the first five I wrote for sure. Wow. I think six might've come before, but I'm not hundred percent. Sure, sure, sure. Because the vagaries of how civil war was being made and all the different plot pieces that were moving. There's a sequence in civil war two or in, in, in that second issue punisher where the superhero characters other than punisher changed eight times. Wow. And it was this insane, just like, it was just a crazy way to work. And, yeah. and I'm not even mean as a complaint. It was fun. It was, sure. it was challenging. It was like, what a baptism, what a crazy right time to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that would have been fun to like have been able to track, but it would have not been possible. Like now it would be possible, but right. stuff like that was cool. But for the most part, it was just grinding. And ultimately there's nothing to write about when all you did this week was write in your notebook. It's like doing sketching, right? Yeah. Like notebooks are places where writers sketch yeah. and like, Hey, I wrote eight versions of a bad scene this week. No one's ever going to see. <laughs> That's a shitty column, right? So it's just kind of <laughs> yeah. an Ilkins. It's a great idea for a column, but not one that could be written in real time. Sure. Which yeah, would have to be a reflective piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, well, so. But it, I committed, but, you know, Jonah was a buddy and I, I feel like I committed to him and I didn't want to pull out and leave him high and dry. So I, totally. I, 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 try, I tried to make it work. 
I've, I've, that's a period of, of comics internet that's really fascinating to me. The amount of professional comics writers who were doing CBR columns, columns on iFanboy, right. like Jonathan Hickman had that uh, concentric circles, I think he called it. That uh, It's a very Jonathan title. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and various other people. I, I, I always think it's really interesting going back and reading that stuff because it was a time that I was... Yeah you know, obviously young enough that I wasn't super tuned into this stuff, but it's fascinating yeah. to look back on. Yeah. Not everyone in comics were on the internet, but every, but like it was a great time to dick around. Sure. Totally. Learn stuff, you know? Yeah. That was the whole reason I read under a fake name was I was known under as my, it was my web handle. It was my, it was a, my, right. my username, wherever <laughs> I would log in somewhere. Cause it's a mangling yeah. of my actual last name. And the only reason I use it is because it was, Hey, the people in comics who are on the internet know me by that name. Yeah. You know, it would, hey, it would be mean, like, it would be like if you chose Donglord 69 as your, <laughs> as your professional name, but that was functionally what I was doing. Like uh, it works out that it's a cool sounding name, like to be, to be quite, you know, honest, it, it, it's, it it's does a name sound that, like a James Bond, like a sub, like a, like a James Bond villain for sure. Yeah, Not many, not many people make out with a good pseudonym like that. I, I, for a while considered um, doing all my creative work under the pseudonym Jeff toast, which is uh, decidedly not, as cool um glad i didn't do it sounds that. It's, it sounds like well there's like toast of london you know the matt berry show <laughs> yeah 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 it would be like uh, yeah yeah it sounds like uh, it sounds like that um so tell, casanova is one of those works that i i really love and and uh thank you randomly found the the influence of it and in, in things that i do which is always like a terrifying and, and interesting thing but um what makes that thank a you. series that you can continuously revisit you know, after, you know, time, like as time has gone on, it seems like that's a story that you're constantly able to sort of go back to and tell more. Yeah. It's, it's very much the thing of like, you have to live a little, go back and interpret it through Casanova, live mm-hmm. a little, go back, interpret it through Casanova. It's true of me. And it's true of the twins too. Yeah. Um, um, it was the first, I, I, it was the first comic I wrote with staples. I'd written short stories and I'd written graphic novels. I had not written a monthly serial book and mm-hmm. I was certain I would never get the chance again. Um, and I, I put everything I had into it, convinced that it would be taken away from me. And I, mm. would, I had a great job in advertising. I flew around the world and did, made music videos and commercials and shit. Like I, yeah. I did it for fun. And so it was, it was a pure act of love. It was like, I'm going to write the book I wish existed in the world. I'm going to write the book I look for every time I go to a comic shop and never find. I don't care if anybody reads it. I don't, yeah. I'm not writing this because I want to write Batman. Right. I'm writing this because I want to write Casanova and found a milieu and, and, and space to tell a story about who I was right. at the time. And it, and as I have grown, he has grown and changed. And so it's just that kind of, you know, I literally, as you and I were pre emailing uh, yeah. about the show, I was texting with uh, Michael Shabon about it this morning. Wow. Like it's a constant, he is always, he's like, he always will come back and live with me. You know, every now and again, he's always going to come crash on my couch and like, that, was that's, it? that's something that's writing. I'm writing next is Casanova. I know yeah. the next three or four Casanova issues. We have three issues in the can. Yeah. Three issues have been in the can for like two years. <laughs> um, but we was, knew we didn't have a fourth coming. So like now, but I'm, I'm getting ready to go back to Cass here soon. Sure. Was it weird um, bringing another writer into that world? Yeah, no, it feels like, um, like when a band gets a new member. Yeah. And suddenly the band is bigger and sounds better and different because there's new energy and yeah. it's great. It's great. It was amazing. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It was definitely like, Oh, we're no longer a three piece. We're yeah. now a four piece. And that's really cool. Did it feel the same way when Fabio came on back in the day? It, the book, 
No, because it's sort of, he was such a part of, I don't think I ever wrote to just Gabrielle and okay. not CC Fabio. I don't know that I ever write to Fabio and not CC Gabrielle. It's all a, it's, it's always been the three of us on and off, you know? Got it. That makes sense. Even in ways I haven't been aware of because they work side by side, literally yeah. side by side. Um, so in your Marvel work, I think there's, there's, uh, obviously Hawkeye is, you know, a book that it feels like has just sort of transcended space and time and stands, you know, above <laughs> most Marvel works as a thing that people will constantly be revisiting, rediscovering and, and reappreciating. Um, did, did making that book make you rethink how you were approaching your work or, or did it, or did it terrify you? Like what was your feeling coming out of Hawkeye? Coming out of Hawkeye? Or even just going through it. I don't know. Whatever whatever your thoughts go to immediately when thinking about Hawkeye, feel free to answer in that space. Well, it was very emotionally autobiographical. Um, I guess every, everything I do is, and I'm sorry, I wish I could just write a fucking book about people punching each other. <laughs> um, so it was, I was very, I was Clint. I was very, I was me. And like, I wrote the first issue the day my dog died. The reason that dog is in the book was because I couldn't save my dog, but I could make Hawkeye save a dog. And so I did like lucky is my dog, Captain Applejack. Um, I was like that level of like, as, as I was, you know, everybody, uh, when Hawkeye started, everybody in my life was getting cancer. And when it ended, everybody died. It was the last book my father read that I wrote. Um, and he read the last, he got to, he read the last issue when it was a black and white printout, like before it had been finished. Like my dad got to read it in production before he died. Right. Um, and it was given, it was, a, I, I was kind of being shown the door at Marvel. Like, you know, they don't back then it's different now. It's totally different now, sure. but like they didn't even want to pay me my full rate for Hawkeye because there had never been a Hawkeye number seven. Mm-hmm. So as I was told, call us when there's a Hawkeye number seven, but like <laughs> they put me on fantastic four and Hawkeye. And those weren't at the time, those weren't books you put yeah. people that you were good. They weren't going to add. I was the marketing department for Hawkeye. Right. Right. I made buttons. I made buttons and postcards. Uh, Kelly Sue made buttons and postcards for Captain Marvel. <laughs> I made buttons and postcards for Hawkeye. We sat in my mom and dad's kitchen in Charlotte, putting them in bags and we gave them away at heroes con. Two of their biggest successes um, in the last 20 years. Yeah. 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 I got caught. Um, um, see you. See you soon on Disney plus everybody. It started in my fucking dad's kitchen. <laughs> um, but it was, I was being shown the door and I knew it. Yeah. And as such, there was no pressure to perform and uh, there was no pressure to do anything other than deliver script. And so like to do what I did both in Fantastic Four with that with Fantastic Four and FF and Hawkeye and Hawkeye was, was both critically and commercially a success. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Fantastic Four stuff was was commercial, was critically a hit. Right. Um, But like it became, they tried to give me the books. They tried to, it just made me, stronger <laughs> and as they were trying to push me out sure. so that was and then the rule came you know dan buckley to his eternal credit literally stood in a room of marvel editors and assistant editors and yelled at them in front of me just leave them alone let them do what the fuck they want to do it's working <laughs> and they did right wow. like like uh, you can say what you will about about the realities of that yeah dan buckley as a publisher understood these guys have done a thing we've never had before. Stop fucking with them. Yeah. And let us, there would not be an issue where the dog solves a crime. If it wasn't for Dan Buckley saying that there would not be an issue in sign language were it not for Dan Buckley saying that. So yeah, it was insane. It was nuts. It was everything about it was insane. Everything about it was nuts. Yeah. 
and unpredictable and unexpected and happening at the worst time in my life. Sure. The best thing at the worst time. It's kind and of And then sex criminals happened in parallel. Which is like that's nuts. wild. Com- yes. Completely insane. And and I actually but the wanna... whole reason the whole reason I started sure. sex criminals yeah. the whole reason no, I started please. sex criminals and that wave of image stuff was because I was at the Marvel editorial retreat where I oh, they're giving me Hawkeye and Fantastic Four. They want to get rid of me. I literally left a retreat and called Eric Stevenson at Image and pitched him Sex Criminals, Odyssey, and Satellite Sam on the phone. And he said, go for all of those. And I started working on all of them. Like that was literally, I was standing in the lobby of the Pearl Hotel, which is owned by Disney. It's where they put us up back then at editorial treats. Everybody was at the bar of the Pearl drinking, waiting for me to join them. I'm in the lobby, pacing back and forth, waving to them. Like one second, one second, I'm wrapping up a phone call. Like it was that. So now, now obviously, you know, sex criminals has been this, uh, you know, sort of another enormous hit that has transcended space and time and, and, and will <laughs> live on in the annals of comics history. And, um, and who knows if anyone will ever successfully be able to, uh, bring it to screen without getting scared. But, um, how do you look back on, on specifically Odyssey and, and satellite Sam, uh, you know, those projects for you creatively? Uh, Odyssey was infuriating. First off, t- to work with a, a creator, the magnitude of Christian Ward right. is like strapping yourself on to a missile. Yeah. Like, I just knew, I knew, oh, you're a fucking stallion. You are a horse that will not be broken. And all anybody has to do for you is let you out of the pen. Sure. Right? And so that was, so to, to work with Ward was just, and also he's just like a lovely person like he's, he's just amazing, like as a human being yeah but then like again in the in the tradition of let's make everything difficult for myself like it was written in a meter in a poetic meter like it was, it was i made up a, and we don't have long syllables and short syllables like ancient greek but we have stressed and not stressed so it was all written in this yeah and like to like it was such an insane you couldn't just say somebody just couldn't just say i'm gonna go to the bathroom because it didn't hit the meter sure so it was an infuriating i spent more time on the prose of odyssey than i have on i think anything else in my career just wow. because the challenge was as homer wrote odyssey in the heroic uh, uh, uh in the dactylic hexameter like i'm gonna write in what i call dummy hexameter <laughs> and it was my so that was my memory of, of odyssey was like the notebook is just endless trying to find, and I got better mm-hmm. towards the end. I got to where I could do it. And then doing 10 issues of, of, of this weird hexameter wasn't enough. I then had to write the last two issue as limericks. Wow. And I just want to drive hot sewing needles in my fucking eye. So that was my memory of Odyssey was sure. what a stupid idea that was. <laughs> um, Satellite Sam was like, I, it was like if you tricked, Paul McCartney into playing bass in your Beatles cover band. Like yeah. I, it was satellite Sam fanfic. Like it was, it was Howard Chaikin fan fiction. I, tr- I tricked Howard into writing my Howard tribute book into drawing my Howard tribute. Yeah. Book, you know, like I love Howard. I love him as a person. I love his work. His work has been titanically influential on, on me. My, like it is, it is everything I do, everything, believing that the reader is smarter than I am writing stories and working in a way that, 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 that encourages collaboration with your reader, mm-hmm. thinking about pages as units of design. All of that is Howard. All mm-hmm. of that is Howard. And then to write that kind of 
psychosexual Brian De Palma, right. you're going to go to some dark fucking places kind of story. Yeah. Who else does that? Better? No one does that better than Howard. Like yeah. that was, and, and we had gotten to work together at Marvel and I love him and I adore him. And I got to work with one of my heroes and, sure. and it was, I couldn't imagine a better co-pilot to go to such dark places with. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a, it was a close to a novel. I think as I've ever written, maybe until November, it was grim and relentlessly. So, and a ton of research and I loved and hated every minute of it. And every minute that I loved, I loved because of Howard, every minute that I hated, I hated because of me. So it was, you know, but it was a, I, I know it's a hard read. I know it's a difficult read. I know it's maybe nobody's choice of a good time, but like, I loved it. I really loved it. And I love Howard. I, I cannot imagine the amount of fear that I would feel like working with uh, someone who was a full idol of mine, like on in that level. I'm you like, I avoided me deliberately avoided meeting him wow. for years and would, and precisely because of that. Cause I never wanted yeah. to remember the time I made an ass of myself in front of Howard Shaken. Totally. And then we were literally set, seated next to one another at a convention. And if I hadn't have introduced myself, it would have been rude. Yeah. And that was it. I just had to dive in cause we were sitting next to each other for three days. So, oh fuck. Well, <laughs> And he's lovely. He's yeah. the best. It's amazing. And yeah. Yeah. How, uh, only a couple more questions here and then we'll go. We're, we're no, definitely, I've used so much of your time here. Um, how has your relationship with chip evolved now that you're no longer, uh, collaborating on a regular basis, unless you secretly are, but, um, uh, we still talk as much. We still share as much about that. You know, it, 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 it's, I mean, chip became, one of my best friends, she became my best friend mm-hmm. in the process of doing that book. We became so close and I, I talked to him every day, you know, and, and, and I was writing that book entirely for him and he was drawing it entirely for me. Got it. And the, 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 the ner- most nervous I would get was the day I was the time between sending him a script and hearing back from him, you know, like it was entirely, we just got closer and closer and closer and, and to almost kind of became telepathically, mm-hmm. you know, um, I knew what I could write. And how, and, and I knew, yeah, it was just, it would just, we found our harmony and, um, yeah, really the only thing is that I'm not, I don't worry about owing him script and he doesn't worry about owing me pages. Right <laughs> yeah, you guys don't if anything, our, our relationships become better because there's no work stress. It's just, really? just, just two chums, uh, sending each other stupid shit all day long in the, in the, in the emails. I I'm sure that the, the legions of Brimpers are, are glad to hear that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> he's the best he's, he's, and, and, um, and also it's been just amazing to see his career take off. Yeah. You know, like, is there a like, character that you've written that you would like to see him? write? Punisher. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did this Batman story. Um, mm. and I, and I drew part of it. I, I asked Chip, can I draw There's a bit where Joker has sent Batman something he made in arts and crafts at, at Arkham and it's a picture of the two of them. It's his best friends. I'm like, I asked Chip, can I draw this? And so I actually drew that and Chip like Photoshopped it into the book. So I just, Amazing. just be so I can tell people that I'm the artist of Batman now. Cause I oh, have yeah. actually now drawn Batman. So it's pretty great. Um, I would That's love to awesome. see Chip do technically then the answer is Batman. I would love to see Chip do more Batman. So. Oh yeah. That'd be cool. Um, It'd be funny. Well, Matt, you've been insanely generous with your time. Uh, I don't want to oh, take any more. These of it. questions have been really great. This has been a joy. Do you get any 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 last ones? We got a, a one for the road, or mm. a, a... 
let's let's let, we'll you, go with one for the road. I, I always write way more questions than I could ever ask. Uh, but but here's one question, and this will be uh, huh? this will be kind of the the gotcha question of the day. How's that? Right, because I had I had a feeling when we started there was there was there were maybe questions you were nervous about asking, <laughs> or, or not nervous but didn't want to appear impolite for asking. Sure, so if you there's a couple. I'll I'll give you one impolite one and then one clickbait one. Okay, great, great, um, great. Uh, the one that I think, or that, that I would worry just because of, you know, whether it's public perception or, or, you know, the sounding of difficult, right. Uh, enough with the prefaces. How do you look back on your work on X-Men? It's, it's work that I like generally and, and genuinely do enjoy myself, but I know that that was sort of a, a, a an outlier in your work at Marvel. Yeah. I was a better X-Men reader than I was writer. I think that's the, the, um, I never got comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. For any number of reasons, um, and I just don't think I was particularly good. I was, I was a better reader. But that's the thing you discover sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've this is the thing I discovered in comics was that some of these characters you read and you love, it's, it's time to put words in their mouth and you got nothing to say. Right. And it's like I, I think I'm like my second issue. Wolverine is like fixing a car and listening to Joe Walsh's "Life's Been Good to Me So Far," and I was like, oh shit, that's all I have to say about Wolverine. <laughs> And he kind of doesn't show up too much. Sure. And like, that's the genius I am. I'm the guy that wrote X-Men and didn't use Wolverine. <laughs> so like that tells you what kind of X-Men writer I was. Sure, sure. Yeah. So that's that. You kind of, oh, fuck. It turns out I don't actually know what I'm doing here. and shouldn't be doing it. So. Sure. That, no, that, and that's interesting. I'm sure that's yeah, miscast. Valuable. I was miscast. You know, yeah. it was best of intentions, worst of executions. And sometimes you don't realize you're going to blow it till you blow it. Right. It's the, the. Huh. I, I was I usually I'm aware. I'm usually aware when I'm gonna when I'm not cut out for something, but mm-hmm. I didn't know on X Men until I didn't do it well. So I wasn't doing it well. It's almost the way that a lot of people I think view George Lazenby in the Pantheon of Bonds, but he's my personal favorite, and I wish that they would have done uh, any more with him. But uh, Honor Magic Secret Service is my favorite Bond film. That's why you and I get along. It's, <laughs> it's uh, such a good. It's, uh, it's such a good movie. And if it had been Sean Connery and they made it in 1968 instead of George Lazenby in 1969, it would be the Empire Strikes Back of yeah. Bond movies. Yeah. Um, and Lazenby is unfairly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. It we'll, truly is. We we'll, talk about Bond forever. I do you know the the whole rumor about Skyfall and its first inception with Sean Connery as the old guy and how it was going to be all the Bonds and uh, anyway. Um, uh, last the clickbait question. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you were involved and seemingly at a, at a fairly large scale with what was uh, from the outside called DC five G. Uh, which then sort of became partially abandoned, partially workshopped. And I know that there's probably not a lot you can say, and I'm not pressuring you to say anything that you're not comfortable with. How do you, uh, uh, do you feel that there were any big missed opportunities from what that was initially looking like um, that, that have sort of been abandoned? Or do you think that they've actually gone in a better direction than they would have? Well, I, I was about as connected to what was called internally 5g Mm. as i was civil war Mm. like i had nothing to do with the heavy lifting Mm -hmm. or the decision you know what i mean like it was sort of like this is where we think we're going would you like to come to right and it was it was so i kind of wasn't it was i don't you know it's just sort of um it did all yeah i i was very you know i i did jimmy olsen um you know because brian was doing superman and 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 Greg was doing Lois Lane and it was fun to get together and talk about Superman, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was kind of like, Oh, do you want to continue on with where we're heading? And this is where the universe is heading next. Yeah. Um, and it's always kind of good to know that stuff. Uh, uh, so like I, I, you know, I heard 
what the kind of broad uh, I, I, I heard like what the broad plans were, but even then they were changing mm-hmm. um, and changeable, right? right. Um, um, so, so it kind of I didn't really. Um, so, so a lot of it, I think it's just, just kind of isn't the premise is just not quite sure, sure, quite sure. true. Unfortunately, yeah. no, no, hey, um, please, uh, 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 no, but, but like I think, uh, I think the fatal flaw in DC Comics is that DC Comics are almost always about DC Comics, and that punishes new readers, right? Um, and this was this was another one of those things that felt like it was predicated on awareness of knowing how different it was from the old things. Right. And that was a problem. I didn't think that was a good, I thought new 52 was a colossal missed opportunity. Yeah. You've um, read every uh, first issue oh, yeah. of that entire thing, I, right? I went nuts. Yeah. 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 As, as, as Brian Bendis says, I, I, inter- I, 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 I interpreted it as though it were the Torah. Um, <laughs> But look, I was at Marvel at the time, and yeah. like our, our competition put out 52 first issues. That's a bold play. Yeah. And I think you can tell, like, let me see what you got. There's no better. I can tell you everything you need to know about a writer by how they write a first issue. Right. And they gave me 52 of them. Yeah. And and I felt like I understood the enemy, you know? Wow. Um, so, so, no, so I thought in its conception, the problem was you have to know what 4G was. <laughs> You have to know what the shit is to understand what it is. And it's not just a new story. It's, yeah. It isn't a clean start point. It's predicated entirely on, oh, I used to be, you know, everything was like that. So that was my problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love any time they, places like Marvel or DC take big creative swings. Mm-hmm. But 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 DC is trapped in this place of forever telling stories about DC Comics. Right. Because DC Comics are about DC Comics. Um, and when you're dealing with that level of meta brand awareness, like Marvel, Marvel characters are in the streets looking up, right? DC characters are in the clouds looking down. Totally. And it's what happens when you have science fiction yeah. writers as editors, right? That's yeah. the difference between, between the reality of the companies. Yeah. You've got the, the gods who would be men and the men who would be gods on, on those yeah. sides of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you have the, the, the gods looking down on us, telling us about, no, no. Before this, this this comic was that comic. Like, yeah. There's a my, people aren't going to be able to follow that. Totally. When I was a kid, you know, my my exposure to DC on the regular was right after Crisis, and my memory of those books were, oh, you have to understand what things were like after Crisis to understand why this is so interesting now. And I don't know why it's anybody cares that Clark Kent is now the quarterback and not the water boy. Mm-hmm. But they're hanging such a fucking lantern on it. I feel punished for not understanding why right. it's different. Right. Um, so yeah, that was my, my outsider looking in thing as it was kind of presented to me was like, I don't know any of this stuff and you have to explain it to me. That's not a story, <laughs> right? That's, that's a, like, like, like you're making comics for Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I quite, it's so, so I was just kind of, I, I had the very, I got to listen to what it was and be like, I don't like that. Or you could change sure. this, you know, like yeah. I got to just kind of take shots at it or whatever. Sure. And we talked some and we had some kind of conversations and, and, uh, uh, explorations, but it, it sort of didn't work out for any number of reasons. Yeah. None of which were fun. <laughs> none of which were particularly clickbaity. It just kind of ended up not yeah. playing out. And I haven't seen enough of the future state books to kind of see how the execution sure. has landed or, or any of that stuff. But like, um, I think it's really exciting. I think Marie is uh, Marie Javins is real smart, and I can't wait to see what 
her time at DC really looks like when yeah. she is, you know, she's still Doing kind her of her own stuff. It's that transition phase where I'm wrapping, she's wrapping up balls that were already in, the air, in motion yeah. and stuff. So like, I'd love to see where she goes. I can't wait to see what happens, but no, I, I think 5g was exciting and interesting and heading towards something cool. Um, and there's more misinformation and misunderstanding about what it is than what it than, 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 than yeah. what it actually was. You know, it was really, a, it was a, it was a, it was an attempt to do what they had tried to do a couple of times to streamline and everything back. and make it all one. Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of a chance to redo what they were gonna do with final with Infinite Crisis and with Final Crisis, and right. and then sort of like no 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 let's just do it once and for all and be done with it. But, yeah. But so it would have been. Um, I don't know. It would have been interesting. There would have been some successes and some failures and something surprising and something not surprising and some missed opportunities and some unexpected hits. And it would have mm-hmm. been real cool. And, and, and it sounds like the, the future state books are kind of finding that like there are surprise hits and, and things that are really interesting and all that kind of stuff. There's so, some really, cool. Yeah. I mean, look, they're bringing in writers that, that weren't working for them previously and artists who weren't working for them previously and doing interesting stuff. And I think that maybe the freedom of not being continuity dependent or like future book dependent yeah, 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 yeah. has yeah, really freed yeah. up a lot of teams. Yeah, um, uh, you know, uh, this is this is how early and how protozoic my involvement was. Was mm-hmm. they weren't even a hundred percent death metal was going to happen. Wow! So like it was that kind of we think it's going to happen. We're not a hundred, sure. you know. And 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 that was you know. Um, yeah. I, I do think though on the other side of death metal, the most interesting thing, like the death metal did it though, is like the multiverse is the multiverse and it's a multiverse and it's not just 52 it's infinite things. Yeah. And there could one day be a day where there are 52 writers writing 52 different continuities. Yeah. And that'll be its own kind of headache. <laughs> but like, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Like the DC has just decided to not listen. People we, we, we'll follow along. We're pretty smart. We understand that Batman on the TV show isn't Christian Bale. Yeah. And that Christian Bale isn't Neil Adams, uh, cowl and no shirt Batman. We understand yeah. those are three different takes on Batman that aren't necessarily the same character. Yeah. Like, it's people in- can follow this idea. It's interesting seeing every single superhero movie universe building to a um, multiversal collision right now where they're bringing back all of their old versions of characters and stuff. Like it's weird seeing all that happen at the same time. I kind of hope it doesn't. I, 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 and I, and I suspect DC is doing it because we know DC is doing it. Yeah. I kind of hope Marvel isn't in fact doing it. Kind of the end of WandaVision gives me hope for that. Same. Uh, uh, um, because again, it's all predicated on knowing this stuff. Yeah. And that's not good storytelling. I know. It's the thing. Every time there's a comic book, especially shows, people are always speculating week to week on which, you know, big Marvel villain is going to show up in the last episode of the season. And, so, you know, and you're always like, that's not they're not going to make a show that requires you read a stack of comics to understand who that guy is. Like it's going to yeah. be someone who's been here in the first act. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's the thing about Mephisto is like, guys, what? No, that's not, that's not how this works. That's yeah. not, he's not like, just showing up. We're not going to suddenly introduce a devil, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what? Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um Anyway, as we wrap up here, uh, uh, where can people uh, find oh, What do you oh, want to I plug? will say this. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. This is clickbaity. This is clickbaity. Okay. Dan DiDio gave me his spreadsheet. I have the Dan DiDio. <laughs> co- I have the coherent DiDioverse timeline of DC Comics. And that was fascinating. That I loved. I, I am that sure. Was the, that was fabulous reading. Oh, my um, God. Um, and, and such a labor of love, clearly by a guy who loves DC. <laughs> like, that was... 
Yeah. Like he was talking about it and Bendis was like, you should give it to Matt. This, this guy loves that shit. And oh I'm like, God. Oh, this is the, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing I would spend an entire weekend reading. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I have, I have literally a giant nine oh foot long God. Excel spreadsheet that Dan did on me. I am so, so that, that, that is the kind of artifact that um, feels like it will be uh, uh, rumored about and, and uh, uh, yeah. Positive about. Forever. Yeah. You know, I have a, I have a, I have a Frank Miller daredevil script that was supposed to come out after born again. Um, he was going to do a three-part thing that Walter Simonson was going to draw. And he wrote the first script. I've got that. If you want to read it, I'll send it to you. I would that's, love that's to. That's an that. artifact. That's the artifact for the ages. It's God, I wish... undrawn prime Frank Daredevil. I wish I had known that about that's existence when I interviewed Walt Simonson. I would have loved to ask him about that and hear about... Oh. Anyway. It, it kind of turned into what would be Love and War, the graphic oh, wow. novel he did yeah, with yeah, Sienkiewicz. Yeah. Like it kind of... I don't know. I don't know what wow. happened to it. Yeah. You'll, I would love to read that. Yeah, yeah, um, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Uh, well, uh, obviously, you know, your work is 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 on the shelves. November Volume One through Four is out, and it's amazing. Um, and and uh, the Adventure Man hardcover Adventure uh, Man. Uh, is out, and it's a big, beautiful. It's the most pretty thing I've ever been involved yeah. with. It's 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 amazing. It's uh, that's that's out now. Former guest of the show, Terry um, Dodson. Terry Dodson is is killing it. Um, the last Sex Criminals trade has come out, and then there will be a hardcover called Big Hard Sex Criminals Volume 3 that will collect oh, yeah. the last 11 issues under one giant kind of format. Awesome. Um, looking at my board of stuff. <laughs> uh, I wrote a story for the upcoming Old Guard uh, anthology series oh, uh, cool. that, that Steve Lieber is going to draw. Steve Lieber, who's oh, yeah. Superman's pal, Jim Nielsen. That's in trade Other now. Other former guest uh, of the show, Steve Lieber. Um, yeah, and then... More Casanova coming in the future. Uh, can't talk about that. Kind of, but yeah, there you go. There we go. And then the November commentary, uh, I think it's off to press now. So um, I expect I'll still be mailing it out sometime in the next month or so, probably. Open your mailbox, friends. Make sure, I'm sure people listening to this show back to that damn Kickstarter. That's the, the the Venn diagram. I feel like it must be a circle there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I just hope the mail works. That's a good point. Um, well, uh, the last question we ask everyone who comes on the show is why do you love comics? I love comics because, uh, Elvis Presley brought a copy of, uh, Captain Marvel Jr. into his barber in Memphis and said that he wanted a Billy Batson haircut. And, uh, that's where the rock and roll, that's where rock and roll was born, that haircut. And then if you look at Elvis in that jumpsuit, he's fucking cap, he's fucking Shazam. And that was on the pipe and a little half cape and the big cut like that is, that's, that's why I love because, uh, because Elvis loves Shazam. <laughs> Matt, thank you for being on the show. Genuine fucking pleasure. Thank you. And once again, a big thank you to Matt Fraction for joining the show. Uh, You can seek out his work wherever you buy your comics or books or whatever. You know, the the choice is yours. It's an infinite oasis and, and the horizon is... Uh, as deep as, as as thought and imagination will allow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Go buy his books. Uh, thanks to Sean Rosner for the music, which opens, closes, and interstitiates is a word I'm going to use now, the show. Uh, you can go follow Sean on Instagram at SeanTheRosner. Uh, thanks once more to Garm for sponsoring the show. You can go to GarmCompany.com slash TMBC to get 20% off your order. Uh, and thanks to 
every single one of you for listening. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. It's so awesome seeing people loving the show, uh, people reaching out. It's it's still a joy anytime I get one of those messages in my inbox on you know Twitter or or you know Instagram or whatever. Um, so seriously, if if you're loving the show, I absolutely appreciate all of that uh, outreach. You know, I'm I'm someone who is uh, by nature insecure to a degree so anytime someone can sort of you know uh float my ego pump it up a little bit i am not gonna complain um and if you feel like going that that extra mile that's just really gonna push me over the edge into feeling like a million bucks uh you can head over to itunes apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it and drop a little rating in there that's a kind of a fun thing to do um for me personally feels great love 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 seeing those ratings and reviews anytime that they are dropped in uh and if you're really loving it then hey maybe uh maybe you drop a little five stars on that rating um and i also just wanted to to shout out a couple of uh uh reviews that we got pretty recently actually we've gotten wow <laughs> I have not seen uh, uh, some of the reviews. So quite a few reviews have come in recently, and I want to thank you all for that. Um, here's one review from, uh, it says, A. Hockett. Uh, High Octane Positivity is the title of the review. And the body says, this is a great podcast for aspiring comic creators and storytellers. Besides being chock full of information about craft, industry, and comics community, it is simply a pleasure to listen to the show. Jason and Kent's positive attitudes are infectious. Their conversations are authentic and the interviews dive deep. Thank you so much, A. Hockett, for that review. That was uh, amazing. I actually, I truly like as I was reminding you to to send reviews to the show i hadn't looked at the page for uh you know a few weeks and so that was a genuine surprise to see these reviews in here um there's one more and i'm gonna go ahead and uh read it out here just because why not uh this one is from peter gracie uh and the title says dreamers you are not alone another five star review thank you very much After making the hard choice to set aside my big novel in favor of another story, I realized the new story would be much better in a comic form. On a whim, I opened this podcast and braced myself for the onset of imposter syndrome. It never came. The hosts are funny, friendly gentlemen, always sure to give their listeners an approachable set of information. Their guests are remarkable artists uh, from all wakes of life, from excellent comics such as the Avatar Korra series to The Walking Dead. Every episode focuses on the artist, which as everybody is best uh, which as everybody is best at a different thing, happily establishes a multiverse of excellence for fans or casual listeners. I read on another review that someone listened to this while penciling their first issue. Congratulations! And I totally empathize. When I'm listening to the show, I feel like the dream of selling my stories and art is possible, so long as I'm ready to put in the work and improve simply searching some of the websites and things mentioned has been a fantastic help i am so glad and happy to listen or re-listen to these episodes it makes me feel like i'm being cheered on by good friends thank you so much for this podcast i'll keep listening gratefully to every episode you drop and thank you so much peter gracie that was a wonderful wonderful review and truly i'm glad that uh uh the the things that we're putting out in the show are being received um as intended because i am someone like you mentioned there uh who has definitely struggled with imposter syndrome you hear me ask people about it a lot in interviews because it's a it's a thing i get um 
And so I'm glad that that, that type of stuff is conveyed. You know, I, I one of the reasons I s- established at the beginning of the show that I'm not an expert is because I do not believe that I am. And I don't want anyone to come into the show um, thinking that I have that sort of attitude about this stuff. I really, really want to learn anything that uh, these amazing artists, writers, creators, editors, whoever we have on the show, I want to learn anything that they've got to share. Um, and so I'm, I'm very glad that people are receiving this stuff uh, the way that it's intended. And hey, that's and and seriously, congrats on uh, uh, moving into the medium of comics. It sounds like you were writing, you know, novels and stuff before. I wish you the absolute best of luck in comics, and I hope you enjoy it because, in my personal opinion, it's the best medium out there. Uh, better than books, better than movies, better than TV. I, you know, anything you throw at me, I truly think comics is the the best uh, medium for storytelling um, and the most personal. Um, but yeah, th- thank you again so much for listening, everybody. Um, if you have any feedback on the show, anything that you'd like to you know see or hear, uh, please reach out. You know, you can again find me on Jason Halftones. You can uh, DM me, whatever. Um, and hey, if there's a creator that you want to uh, hear on the show that you feel like is overlooked, go ahead and you know throw a tweet out there, throw a I don't know Instagram something or other, an Instagram story. I don't know. Um, some way that I'll see it, that they'll see it. Cause, uh, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to get in touch with people. I don't have everyone's, you know, emails on hand and not everyone's DMS are open. So making that noise is, is, uh, the best way to, to go about it. And, um, you know, lets them know who I am, lets me know, uh, that they're out there and that people would really want to hear that. Anyway, this has gone on so long because, um, well, the discussion was, was too good to, to end. Um, but uh, I am going to end the monologue because it's just frankly not as interesting as the rest of the show. But thank you all for listening and uh, good luck out there. Be cool.com. You never know.